TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Well, Ray Dinger. Good morning, Ray Dinger. By the way, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Glenn. Uh, that was Derek Barnett talking about how he's got to get better at not committing dumb penalties and hurting the team. <laughs> well, that would be nice. Here's the thing. That quote's from last year. Oh. That quote's from last October. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what, Ray? Yes. Just as pertinent now. Certainly is, especially this week. Well, there you go. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning. Big show today, by the way. Brandon Graham is going to join us at noon for Tell Us Your Story, a... uh, a historic memory at 11 o'clock for this week in Philadelphia Sports History. And uh, Ray and I saw the same movie this week, and we will review it, mm-hmm. not really knowing what the other guy thought. Oh. Well, okay. I know you liked it. Yeah, I did. But I don't know why and how much and so on, and you don't know how I felt. Mm-hmm. So we will we will discuss, uh, and, and uh, I'm just going to tease it one more time. I'm very excited that we got Brandon Graham for Tell Us Your Story. You did that. You were at a some kind of function with him recently and said, hey, you want to do Tell Us Your Story? And he said, sure. Sure, why not? And he was great. That was, uh, yeah, we were doing an event together. It was one of those dinner kinds of things where, uh, uh, and you've done these before, where there's a, a guest and they have one person up there doing an interview and everybody else just sort of sits in the audience and they listen and then they get to ask questions. And I've done a few of them, you've done a few of them. And this time uh, they asked me, do you want to do one with Brandon Graham? I said, sure. And, uh, and he was great. And the whole time we're doing the interview, I'm thinking, this is like, tell us your story. It's really what it was like. So when we finished, I said, hey, you know, we do this thing on the radio. He said, yeah, I know. I heard it. And I said, well, how about, you know, how would you would like to do one? I said, sure. So here we are. And it was. It was, it was really good. He's, he really is a good fellow. And, uh, and now, as of this week, as of the trade of Claude Giroux, he is now the longest tenured professional athlete in Philadelphia. So it's very timely. Yeah, we talked to him about that. He... he- he feels the magnitude of that. Mm-hmm. He, he is very aware of what that means and yeah. what, where that puts him in history, and that's yeah, kind not, of a fun part of the conversation. Yeah, not, not lost on him at all. He's right. very, he's very aware guy. All right. Let's, uh, we, we're going to cover all of it today, um, which is good. This is one of those times of year where everything is in play, including a fascinating NCAA tournament, which we'll talk about that as well. But I do want to start with the signing of Derek Barnett this week, Ray, because <sighs> let me go through a couple of the stats, career stats. 20 and a half sacks in his career, mm-hmm. 24 penalties. He right. was tied last year for the NFL lead among defensive ends with eight penalties, more rushing the passer penalties, three than sacks, two. Mm-hmm. Ray, the Eagles drafted him at number 14 back in 2017. I remember. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, th- we thought it might be a good, sign. It was a good draft pick. 
Um, and he played last year more snaps than he had ever played before. And he stinks. I mean, I know they said, oh, look, he gets to the quarter, 77 quarterback hits and all this. It's like, I don't, that's so what? I mean, that. Um, I, I don't mean to dismiss it, but the negatives outweigh the positives. Um, I'll, I'll speak for another 15 seconds and I'll throw it to you. On the one hand, it's not that significant a signing if things work out as they hope this year. I guess he'd be the fourth option at defensive end behind Josh Sweat, behind the aforementioned Brandon Graham coming back from an Achilles injury, and behind um, newcomer Hassan Raddick. So his playing time will probably be down. On the other hand, it's not that significant a signing in terms of, like, why do I want him back? And and I worry this means that maybe they're not going to draft a defensive, a, a pass rusher. Right. So it's more defend. It's more disappointing to me in what he has been so far, and how it relates to what has been a dif- disappointing off season. All right, I'm going to shut up and give it to you. No, I um, I agree with you. I I, I agree with you point by point. Um, I was surprised. I mean, when the season ended, and you looked at the guys whose contracts were up and they're heading to free agency. Um, I mean, I honestly, I never thought, I never thought it was even in the discussion to bring him back. I thought it was just okay. You know, it's. We tried first round draft pick, and I'll look. I'll I'll, I'll admit to it. Uh, what, when they came up in the draft, you and I were doing it together, and I mentioned him as a guy that I would like to see the Eagles take. So I was as wrong as they were. It didn't work out the way I thought. Certainly didn't work out the way they thought. And it seemed like after five years, it's sort of like a time to just sort of part ways, you know. And then give him a chance, go someplace else. You know, maybe he has a little bit of a resurgence. But I I thought he had really played it out here in Philadelphia. When I heard the news that they had re-signed him, I was really surprised. I mean, it was not – coming into this offseason, that was not something I expected that we'd be talking about. I really thought he had played his last game here. I kind of thought that this coaching staff had seen enough of him to say, no, 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 we we got to do better than this. Well, I've heard in the last few days some people are now trying to circle back and defend it. You know, he's not a bad player, you know. Right, and yeah, you know, I mean, you could do worse. I mean, I'm hearing that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, and I actually, mean, my on. mailman and I had that debate. Yeah, I mean, it's well, you know, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not awful, right, you right. know. And and then then they start, you know, rolling out the, you know, the pro football focus stats of all, and it's come on, we've we've seen them play, and, and we know the dumb penalties and. You know, in, in big spots and big games where you in the fourth quarter when you need somebody to come up and get a pass rush, does he get it? Now, one of the things we said, one of the things that we've been saying the whole offseason, what's the biggest problem with this team? They have no pass rush. And here's the guy's a first-round pick that you drafted to provide that and hasn't done it in five years. You're going to re-up for that? I don't get it. I mean, did they need another defensive end bringing him back? I, I kind of understand. I, I don't want to – I don't believe in that, but I kind of understand that side of the argument, except here's my great fear, and – you just mentioned it, is that now in a draft where there are a load of really good edge pass rushers, I mean a ton of them, and you've got three first-round picks, that the Eagles are now just going to say, well, we got our defensive end position covered now, so we don't need to look at any of those edge rush guys. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. That need to me is just as great today as it was last week before you re-signed Derek Barnett. So in a draft where – to me, pass rush is still something you desperately need to improve, and there are a lot of really good pass rushers in this draft. I don't want the, sir, sign, the re-signing of Derek Barnett to preclude the pursuit of another pass rusher when I know there are good pass rushers available. Yeah. 
Bring him back, Derek Barnett. Bring him back, Fletcher Cox. Barnett's worse, but they both kind of are just, you're taking players who really I don't think are going to have better seasons than they did last year and kind of thinking, okay, we'll be fine. And it does say something to me that no other team apparently showed interest in Derek Barnett. Right. right. He's a former first-round pick. You kind of alluded to this before. You know, maybe you could say, I ah, he didn't really fit with that coaching staff or the scheme wasn't right for him. We're going to bring him here and, you know, change the scenery, I think you said. Change the scenery. N- nobody else had any interest in Derek Barnett. No. And that, that says enough to me. You know, it's one of the th- interesting things about him is in this town, and a little less so today, but every, every so often you still hear it, is the name of Mike Mamula comes up. You know, and the name Mike Mamula comes up, it's usually followed by a hearty like, guffaw and the term B-U-S-T. Um, huh. Hey, listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Mike Mamula was a better defensive end than Derek Barnett. Oh, uh, no argument for me. I mean, but yet you talk, you know, Mike Mamula's like a joke in this town. It's, well, oh, you know. And, the Mamula thing has, has periphery issues that relate to it, which is they traded up to get Mike Mamula, and everybody wanted them to draft another player. And that player, Warren Sapp, turned out to be a great player. Mm-hmm. I think that's – they drafted Mamula, what, seven? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that – it. listen, if Mamula was taken to 14, he still wouldn't have been a good player. But I agree with you. I, I don't want to argue with your premise. Yes, much better than Derek Barnett. Yeah, I mean, Mike Mamula had 31 and a half sacks here. Derek Barnett's got like 21. <laughs> 20, yeah. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, Mamula was a better player. Um, so it's a low, that's a low bar you set there, Ray. Well, um, I actually think that Mamula was better than people give him credit for. I mean, I, I understand that the Warren Sapp thing was was a shadow he could never quite get out of a gallop from under. But the idea that he's sort of, I mean, people sort of talk of him like Danny Watkins or something, which is sort of nah, silly. I mean, nah, he was. Nah, they, I mean, hey, he was a better player than people give him credit for. That's, that's all hey, I'm going to say. Let me put it this way: if you're talking about bad Eagles first round draft picks of the last thirty years, I, we can certainly top Mamula. Oh, we could do a whole show on it. In fact, we have. We have. (laughs) Okay. It it bothers me in that I'm getting from a lot of people, and you and I referred to this a little bit last week, hey, things are going exactly to plan in terms of the Eagles offseason. Look, they brought back, you know, they re-upped my lot. By the way, great singing job on that show. Yeah. They, they, you know, they brought, but Jason Kelsey's coming back for another year. They re-upped this. And I got to tell you, it is a very uninspiring offseason, a really disappointing offseason, and I don't believe that everything's going to plan because by all accounts, they made a push to get Marcus Williams, who they didn't get. Mm-hmm. They made a push to get Allen Robinson, who got too much money somewhere else. They were interested in Calvin Ridley, who wound up getting suspended. Right. Okay. Um, and so th- it, it's... It's a it's a really disappointing offseason. So far, they still have the three first round draft picks. Things right. could happen. There's you know, there oh, there's still guys on the market. By the way, there's still guys on the market. I will make my weekly call for the honey badger. Okay. I will tell you I have interest, although they're not gonna do it now because they signed Pascal. I I would have liked to see Jarvis Landry here more than that. Different you, kind you, of player. Well, it depends yeah. on what the coaches are looking for. Yeah, well, how about looking for a guy who can catch passes? Oh, Pascal can do that. He catches thirty five a year. Last year when he was with Wentz, the two years before that he had you know he had you know a lot more. Okay, and for an average of almost fifteen yards a catch, which right. in the slot isn't bad. All right, you're starting to sound like our caller. You're going to get him back on the phone again. Hey, once a week. He, well, no, sometimes <laughs> twice a week. No, no, once a week he's allowed. <laughs> we went through that.
<laughs> Our rule. We'd love to hear from you. By the way, 215-592-9494. And we would love to hear from you either today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. but not both. Um, I'm dreaming thinking about Bobby Wagner, right? That's nothing they would invest in. I know he went to visit Baltimore yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Perfect fit, by the way. He's, I mean, I'm for delighted. where the Ravens are right now that's and great. the way Bobby Wagner plays, I mean, I can see him as a Raven. Well, that's great. So everybody's got a place to go and none of them appear to be here. Yeah, he probably would have commanded more money than they're prepared to spend. Mm. But um, yeah, okay. would Bobby Wagner have interested me? Sure. Better be a pretty damned good draft, Ray, because it's been a real uninspired free agency. Well, that's that's obviously what they're hanging their hat on. is, they, And they've got the picks and... There are players in this draft, a lot of them, um, that can really help this team in areas where they need help. So the op- let's put it this way. The opportunity is there uh, for this team to do really, really well in the draft and help themselves, especially on the defensive side. But just saying that the players are in the draft, that's only part of it. You gotta, And that we've got the picks, that's only part of it. You have to put the two together and pick the right players. That's the challenge. Which, in an opening segment, we were talking about Derek Barnett is kind of pertinent now, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Uh, by the way, while you were sleeping, the Sixers rolled over the Los Angeles Clippers last night, 122 to 97. Big game for James Harden, 29 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. Nice day, nice mm-hmm. night for him. Yeah, season high in rebounds. They are now a half game out of the lead in the East, half game behind Miami. Yep. Uh, in other news, uh, the Flyers. Uh, <laughs> who apparently were out late the night before celebrating their first road win in a decade, uh, bounced back to form last night and got uh, rolled over by Colorado. Yeah, uh, it was 6-3 final, but it was like 5-1. And Wasn't was that close? And No, and Colorado just they basically figured this game's won and they kind of went to sleep. So the 6-3 score was very misleading. I mean, Carter Hart gave up a couple of really bad goals. and uh, It was uh, another... Another depressing night of hockey for the orange and black. They still have, what, 15, 18, 20, it's, 20 games? It's, like it's, the season never ends. It's interminable. It, just, it is just, just interminable. It just keeps going. It just keeps just going. Keep rolling. And going and going. Uh, NCAA last night was pretty damned exciting down in South Philadelphia. Ray, the great storyline continues. The St. Mary's Peacocks, which nobody knew existed before last week. North Jersey. Philadelphia's, what, sixth big six team? Mm-hmm. Became the first 15 seed in history to make the Elite Eight. Ray, tell me everything you know about St. Mary's College. I have all the St. time. St. Peter's. St. Peter's. Why St. Mary's? St. Peter's. <laughs> you can't I did say St. Mary's. You're having a St. Blur. Yeah. That's, 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 that's okay. That I didn't happens. go to Catholic school like you. <laughs> I, I don't know one from the other. St. Peter's. Yep. Uh, got some pretty good players. This kid, Matthew Lee, looks like he... He's, so you talk about somebody that's unintimidated. You talk about somebody that's unawed by the pressure. That's why I love that team. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I saw their coach being interviewed, I guess it was after the first game when they upset Kentucky in overtime. Uh, and the, somebody asked the coach, aren't your kids scared being in a tournament? He said, we're from Jersey City. We're not scared of anything. <laughs> Which was, was a great answer. That is great. And, uh, and they have certainly played like that. And, you know, now they're the, the first 15 seed to get to the eight, eight yeah. uh, and um, you know now they got to you know now they got to play against North Carolina, which is hey, I mean you talk about a classic matchup. I mean you got this little school from from Jersey City uh, going up against one of the one of the all time all time dynasty franchises in college basketball. What could be a more perfect setup? Hey, they beat Kentucky. 
They beat Murray State. Well, yep. Murray State's not, but they beat Purdue. Yeah. I mean, they're they're still the Big Ten is out of the tournament. They're still going. I know. And it, the thing about the Purdue win was they won it down the stretch. Yes. I mean, it was a close game. Yes. And when it came down to those those last few minutes, they were better. Yes. They Purdue, were the better Purdue team. Purdue takes the lead kind of early in the second half. You felt like, okay, well, this now here we go. I saw one of the um, I saw one of the Purdue players interviewed after the game, a kid named Williams, uh, and he said when someone asked him about. His impressions of St. Peter's, he said, "That's a real team." Yeah, is what he said, which I thought was, I thought first of all, a very well, gracious, a very gracious thing for him to say very under much. the circumstances, but a wonderful assessment of what they are. They are a real team, and they go what nine deep, right? Yeah, everybody plays. Uh, here's what I can tell you about St. Peter's: twenty three hundred students, which it, it makes the St. Joe's campus look like Penn State. Mm-hmm. And the most famous alum that I could find was Jeopardy savant Ken Jennings. Oh, what do you know? That's it. And a couple like, you know, New Jersey politicians and stuff. But that, that's that's everything I can tell you about St. Peter's. we got to figure he's going to be at the next game, right? In the stands, TV camera on him. You would think. You would think so. If I'm them, I'm getting him there. Um, okay. Today, Nova versus Houston. I think Houston's a five seed. Yes. Houston favored, though. Yes. 6-10, 6-10 start. Honoring the late Tom Bigby. Um, I think Nova's going to get there. And I think they have a real chance now. I do. I just, Jay Wright, they're so fundamentally sound. They they play smart. They, you know, I mean, you said team. They play team. They've got Gillespie's a great player. I just, I would not be surprised at all. If they, what would it be, their third in eight years? Uh, yes. I think, right? Yes. I mean, why not? I don't know when the buzz begins for that. And and we've had this discussion a lot. And I, it, Ray, you would not be shocked to know that it was all the talk on social media in the last couple of days. is like, so do you root for Nova? If you're from Philly, do you root for Nova? Blah, blah, blah. And I understand why people don't, like, who are big five people. You know, who, like, I went to Temple. I, I didn't. I'm just saying theoretically. I went to Temple. I went to St. Joe's. I'm, I can't root for Nova. Uh, I taught at St. Joe's for eight years. When I was there, it was really hard to root for Nova. But when I was there, St. Joe's was competitive. St. Joe's would beat Nova. There was a big five. Currently, there's Nova and there's nobody else. Yeah. The, that... the, the big five, is, as you loved it, the big five, is, as I knew it, 10, 15 years ago doesn't exist anymore. It's no. just... It's just Nova. No, that's the um, – I've never really understood the uh, the blowback against Nova. Um, oh, come on. No, no. I, no it was I, it was, it was the well, – It was pulling them out of the big five. Yeah, but, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it's I, ancient history, but that's what, that's what it was. I guess that's where it started. And Villanova was the first school to really go outside the immediate area to recruit. You know, all the other schools, I mean, it was always that everybody just drafted from the Catholic and the public league. And it was that was one of the beauties of the Big Five back in the day was all the kids were Philly kids. that You'd yeah. seen them play from high school. Now they're playing in college. But, you know, the, the world's changed. And basketball, college basketball has, has certainly changed. And so Villanova, they cast a wider net. And they started bringing in Howard Porter from Florida and people like that. And, um, and then they started scheduling different kinds of games, and then they went to the Big East, and there's no question in their minds and in their eye, the Big East was bigger than the Big Five, which was heresy in this town. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, and that started in the Raleigh era, and a lot of people got really mad about it, and there's still 
that's now combined with jealousy of what Villanova has accomplished that the other schools have not. The only thing that that is a regret to me, and I look, I really love Jay Wright. I really think he's built a remarkable program out there. The one, the only thing I feel bad about a little bit, and this isn't his fault, but he has ended the Big Five as we knew it. I mean, the idea of what the Big Five used to be, they'll still play each other. They still do the round robin. They still play. Um, but there's no real Big Five anymore in the way that it used to be in the 60s and 70s when you, you pretty much everybody could beat everybody, you know, and, and there was true rivalry. You know, Villanova has long since put that to rest. And it's Villanova and now it's everybody else. But to your point... Yeah, but somebody else has got to get good. Yep. I mean, that's on Aaron McKee, and, and that's on you know the, that, that's on the people who are at those schools now. Let me ask you this. Uh-huh. This week we just had a coaching change. LaSalle just fired their coach. Yeah. If you're LaSalle, do you go hire Phil Martelli? I would. Would you bring Phil back? And, and Actually, you know what name I heard rumored with that? What's that? You're close. Think of last week's Tell Us Your Story guest. Oh, really? I, I heard Fran that. Dunt? I heard that that's not impossible. Well, um, would Fran, I go hire Phil Martelli? Uh, yeah. You know, Fran. Sure, uh, I would. Yeah. I mean, Fran made it very clear in our Tell Us Your Story that he misses coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said that. He and, said, and Phil as well made I'm, it clear that, like, you know, this is a nice gig for me here with this big school, but I, I miss my program and being home. I miss Philadelphia. And Fran misses coaching. So. I'd be very surprised if the next LaSalle coach isn't one of those two guys, to be honest really? with you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think if LaSalle tendered the offer, I think either one of them would take it. Look at Ray playing agent. Well, I'm, I just, Look at Ray. to me it just makes perfect sense. I mean, Ray, Ray being the middleman. LaSalle's the one program that really kind of needs to get back on the map. Uh, yeah, good luck. And, um, you know, I think Phil really so much wants to come back to Philadelphia. I think he would do it. All right. Not that he's unhappy in Michigan. And... We know Fran Dunphy, as he said, I miss the juice of the locker room. Yeah, okay. Uh, we got to hit a break here. So let me just tell people, uh, 215-592-9494, best caller of the day. Uh, as judged by Tahir, our producer today, he gets to be the judge, right? We, the pressure's off us. Best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Sports. Um, Scheib Vintage Sports, excuse me, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ScheibSports.com. Uh, coming up, we have Ray Dinger's NFL Draft Preview. Which way are we going today, by the way? Uh, we're going to look at quarterbacks. Ooh, not impossible for the Eagles. I don't know. Not impossible. We'll discuss that. Uh, as we said, we have a great, uh, speaking of Scheib Sports, great moment in Philadelphia sports history. Uh, very good. Uh, what we're watching today, Ray and I both went or both watched. I watched at home. You went to the theater, right? To watch King Richard. Uh, yes. Yeah. I watched it last night at home and, uh, Brandon Graham for tell us your story at noon. So a lot, but we want to hear from you. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Get to the phones in one second. Uh, I asked you a question during the break. I just want to do this real fast. I said, so, uh, you rooting for Duke at this point? <laughs> I said no. no. I read a column yesterday. I think it was on Yahoo.com. I forget the guy who wrote it. But the theme of the column, in fact, I think the headline of the column is, let's face it, we're all rooting for Duke now. Why? Well, because it's uh, Coach K. He's got to go out in glory. And I'm thinking, the hell I am. No. I, I don't. I, I 
Boy, I don't think that's true at all. And you said something at the risk of making a few enemies. If you don't want to say it, I'll say it, which is one of the reasons that you have to root against Duke. Uh, I've always felt that Duke people, within five minutes after you meet them, have had to tell you that they went to Duke. Correct. <laughs> and you know the other school that's exactly the same? <laughs> What's that? Anybody who ever went to Cornell will always tell you that they went to Cornell. Really? In fact, yeah, you know the TV show The Office? Yeah. Yeah, they kind of made it into a running joke on that show. And it's true. I grew up in upstate New York. There were people who went to Cornell. Right. And they would, oh, it's like, uh, well, so, you know, I took a class back when I was at Cornell. It's like, oh, rolling my eyes. <laughs> anyway, all right. I, I guess I just haven't met that many folks from Cornell. Yeah, so, well, I, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't had that experience. I've met more but, than enough, but you're but right cer- about yeah. I've certainly had it with, with, uh, with yeah. the Dukies. Those are the two schools that I absolutely are like that. Yep. Uh, Dave in North Philly, our old friend. Dave, how are you? How you doing, fellas? All right. I got to be honest. Um, Howie Roseman, if he gets it right. He he called the... Um, Dave, I do like that you play a piano solo, as you call us, but you got to put down the music. It was another cell phone. Yeah, okay. Um, the Carson Wentz contract, he got right when in terms of looking at how the market was going to explode for those. He gets that stuff right. But looking at, I'm not happy with the with the way they're pro, like progressing the off season. Derek Barnett and I was not a fan of them re-signing Josh Sweat to big money because I don't want any more big contracts given to guys that are basically in the clue. I need a guy that can get 12 sacks. I need two Douglas type players, not progressive, hopefully players. We've done that game too much. And yeah, they did give it to him based on the promise that he would accomplish it, and I agree with you. He had a he had an okay season, a nice season, but I agree with you. He's not played up to it yet. Nah, and the other thing is with this with this being a depth draft, everything aligns out perfectly for him. They need a tight end. You can find a good tight end in the fifth round. They need three defensive linemen, two ends, and a defensive tackle. And if you keep resigning these other players, you're not going to have enough roster spots because you're going to lock yourself into, you know, you can't cut Fletcher Cox now. Yeah. You didn't lock them into too much money. And then you got Milton Williams who you want to get on the field because he's young and cheap. you got Hargrave who's making good money, but he's still young enough. to. I don't think he's a foundation piece. I think by the time we're really ready to go, he's going to be too old, but he'll be what Fletcher Cox is nail. Yeah, Ray, Ray kind of your point, which is now they have four defensive ends in the depth chart. Are they going to feel the need to draft another? Yeah, that's what I worry about. That's that's I, I didn't like the Barnett signing for a lot of reasons, but that's probably the biggest one is, to me, you still have a real glaring need in that area. Um, this is an awfully good draft for that kind of player. They're there. Um, I mean, they're talk, they, they right now on their roster, they list Milton Williams as a tackle. I'm not sure he's not an end. You know, to me, he looks undersized inside. To me, he's more of an edge player. He might prove to be an end, too. So I don't want them looking at their roster and saying, hey, you know what, yeah, we don't need one of these edge rushers. Let's just go get something else. You know, um, not that they don't have multiple needs, but there's so many good edge rushers in this draft, I would, hate to let, I would hate to waste the opportunity to go get one. Yeah. Hey, David, say hi to your sister for us, would you please? Uh, she's actually back. I look like she's sleeping in the back of the car. All right, well, at some point. All right, buddy. All right, be well. All right, guess what? It's time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. There we go. <laughs> well, there's um, 
you know, I, up until this point, uh, the last couple times we've done this, I've focused on the defense uh, because I think defense is the way the Eagles need to go first. But I don't want to totally ignore the offense. And there has been a little bit of chatter about the possibility that, yeah, you know what, the Eagles might draft a quarterback too this year. So let's take a look at the quarterbacks that are in this draft, uh, the top ones anyway. I don't think that that's what they're going to do, to be frank. But let's just take a look at the options that they have. To me, the number one guy, and I've said this most of the year, uh, is Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Um, 6'3", 217 pounds. Broke Dan Marino's touchdown pass record this season with 42 TD passes. Threw only seven interceptions. Had a really, really good year. Uh, as I watched him, the more I watched him, the more the more I liked him. There's a lot about him that you that you really can like. He's he's tall. He stands in the pocket. Delivers the football. Runs better than you would think. He doesn't look like a guy that would be able to get out of the pocket, but he can. Um, what I really liked about him is. He's doing the one thing that I really think it's important for college quarterbacks, if you're thinking about drafting him, is, is he's showing improvement. Uh, and the improvement in Kenny Pickett has been really dramatic. As I said, 42 touchdowns, 7 interceptions this year. Compare that to the previous two seasons when he had 39 touchdowns and 25 interceptions. I mean, he's gotten just much better at understanding the concepts uh, and cutting down on his mistakes. The one thing everybody talked about were the hands. Yes, I'm making the gesture of little doll hands. Yes, yes. There's a, that was the one big question was his hand measurements. Uh, people were concerned about that. Um, he got to the point where he wouldn't talk about it at, at the Senior Bowl. Um, but the last time they measured at his pro day, they found that his hand measured bigger. Now, how does that happen? I have no idea. Can, can you do exercises? I maybe your hands. Yeah, you know, maybe squeezing. You know, I've seen coaches give quarterbacks and wide receivers silly putty to squeeze. They walk around yeah, squeezing silly yeah. putty all the time. To, remember, you used to have that thing that they had at the gym, which was like two sticks with a spring between it. Right. Used, yeah, to, yeah. I actually did that once for rehab when I broke a finger. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what's going on. I, to me, it's it's a non-issue. I mean, I saw him play at Pitt this year in some pretty miserable weather. Uh, he wears a glove on his passing hand. Doesn't seem to bother him at all. Um, and I just think he's a really good player. I think he's clearly the number one guy. Although, there are people that will tell you that they would take Malik Willis, who's the quarterback from Liberty. 6'1", 220 pounds. Um, has very good speed. Can really run. Uh, and has a really strong arm. The ball just jumps out of his hand. Um I'm worried about the caliber of competition he played against. Uh, when Liberty played against some better teams, he really struggled. Uh, to me, he's a, he's the, really a definition of a boomer bust kind of draft pick. I mean, he's a guy that could you could get him and put him in the right system with the right coaching. He might really develop into something. But I think there's a chance that he could be the next Achilles Smith. I, I, I really do. Mm. I, think, I think you talk about where's the ceiling, where's the floor. For this guy, the ceiling is very high, but the floor is very low. Mm. He scares me. But... I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to be a first-round pick by somebody. Um, the, the next two guys I'm going to talk about here, Matt Carroll from Ole Miss. I actually saw him go head-to-head with Malik Willis in a game. Willis played poorly. Carroll played great. Uh, 6'2", 212 pounds. Um, another guy who really improved this year, cut his interceptions way, way down from 14 to 5. Um, has above-average arm strength, but a really quick release. And... The only thing was he got hurt. He played in the bowl game with his team. A lot of guys passed on playing in bowl games. He played and was injured, but didn't seem to be a factor. He's worked out, and he seems to be fine. The last one is a guy you probably haven't heard much about, 
Uh, but I'll throw him in here now because I kind of like him, and that's Carson Strong from Nevada. Mm-hmm. Six foot three, 225 pounds. Passed for over 4,000 yards this year and 36 touchdowns. Um, he's a really good – he plays with a lot of smartness. He's stands in the pocket, reads the defense really well. He's one of the – he seems ahead of, ahead of what you normally expect from college in terms of being patient and going through his progressions. Um, he's not – if. He's not a guy that's tremendously athletic. He's not a guy that's going to get out of the pocket and extend the play. He's going to get what he gets from the pocket. But if you're a coach that you like that kind of offense, you want your quarterback to play from the pocket and be your classic stand in there and throw the football, you know, Carson Strong would not be a bad choice. So those are my top four guys. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Carroll, and Carson Strong. All right, so here's the bottom line question on this, Ray. If the Eagles, let, let's say at uh, pick 15, they, they pick a uh, defensive end, you know, de- a defensive guy. Right. Doesn't have to be defensive end. I, I, listen, I, at some point we've got to talk about the secondary because I have no idea who's going to play back there. Right. Okay. So now you got two picks in a row there. Mm-hmm. All right. You can either take a different defensive player. I wouldn't be upset if they took that wide receiver from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. There are two of them. Uh, well, I think one's going to be gone. Yeah, I think Cooper's going to be gone. Right. Would you take Kenny Pickett? Ray Dinger runs the Eagles draft. Mm-hmm. Would you take him at pick 19? Um, no. Okay. No. I, I. You're sticking with the strategy of let's give Jalen Hurts one more year, find out what he can do, and then next year if we need a quarterback, we'll shop then. Yeah, I would take, uh, I would take Jalen Hurts over any quarterback in this draft. Oh, you would? Mm-hmm. Wow. I would take Jalen Hurts right now. I would take Jalen Hurts as Jalen Hurts is right now. Okay. Over any quarterback oh, in this draft. Oh, that's encouraging. I like that. So, yeah, I'm uh, my this draft, if the Eagles hold on to the first three picks, I, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. It's, it's, I said Cooper. It's actually Wilson uh, is, the, is, the, is the really good receiver from Ohio State. Um, if, if I was – if, if I was running this draft with the Eagles, I would, I would hold on to the three picks and pick three players. I would certainly pick a pass rusher. I would certainly pick if, – if Jordan Davis were there, mm-hmm. if Jordan Davis somehow, somehow slipped to 15, I don't think I could pass on him. So I would get two defensive linemen, maybe a defensive back if, if there was a good one sitting on the board, and I think there probably will be. Um, and maybe on the off chance that a wide receiver, one of the better wide receivers was there, I would think about that. Although I would much rather get a veteran wide receiver – then add another young wide receiver to an already young wide receiver core. If I were to, if I were to hold on to the three picks, Glenn, I think I would go defense, defense, defense. I think there's that much need there, and I really like the quality of the players that are available. Okay. By the way, I, I made a gaffe, not the first or last time I'll do it today. Mm-hmm. Ken Jennings, uh, who went to uh, St. Peter's. Yes. It's a different Ken Jennings. Oh. <laughs> this is Ken Jennings, the Broadway stage actor. Oh, okay. Who I, to be honest with you, was not familiar with. Oh, all right. It wasn't Ken Jennings, the um, guy who went to BYU who starred on Jeopardy. Oh, all right. So there you have it. Oh, okay. Go on. All right. I'm glad you cleared that so up. So I don't think you'll see that Ken Jennings at the – maybe you will, but probably not at the game. Uh, let's go to Sean in Wilmington. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Sean. Hey, how you guys doing today? All righty. Hey, uh, did you guys listen to Howard earlier? Uh, a little, but not entirely. What did I miss? He had a, his question today was for somebody that uh, stole money from Philly. Okay. And nobody brought up uh, DeMarco Murray. 
Okay, well, 40, what, whatever he gave as a prize, we, we don't have for you at this point. So. Oh, no, no, I'm just saying. I was just, okay, I what, what else you got? Okay, well, I wanted to talk a little uh, college uh, basketball, but I, I wanted to say something uh, real quick. Mike Reese uh, got on the uh, – on, on his show last week. Okay, so here's about. the deal, Sean, and and yeah. I don't mean to be rude to you, and I appreciate it. If you got something with Howard, call Howard. If you got something with Ike, call Ike. I I love those guys. I love Ike Reese, but you got to talk to Ike about what he says on his show and talk to us about what we say on our show. Okay, let's try Bob in Springfield, right? See mm-hmm. what, see what he's got for us. Hello, Bob. Hi. Uh, good morning, guys. Best time, best three hours of my Saturday, always. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, I, um, I, I brought him up a couple. This is a small. I really want to talk about NCA, but um, the uh, Devin Lloyd is going to be there when the Eagles pick. He probably will. Uh, yeah. He had a. He did not exactly dazzle anyone at the combine, so I think that uh, his stock. Um, it didn't fall through the floor, but it dipped a little bit enough that I think he'll be there at fifteen. Yeah, he—he's a. I mean, he would work wonders in this defense. You know, I, it's my opinion. But anyway, I want to. You like him, right? To, uh, you seem you know what? Uh, less I, impressed than uh, Bob I, the caller. Yeah, I. Look, well, he's a good player. I mean, he—he he, he is a good player. I will grant you that. Uh, to be honest with you, straight up, uh, I like Nicobe Dean better. Oh, he's great too. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I take him too. But I just notice how players fall and rise based on one combine. You know, but oh, I know, and I think I think that's that happens all the time, and I think it's a big mistake. I think people overrate the importance of the combine. To me, it's just one more tool in the evaluation process. But some teams, some general managers. Um, they draft guys based on a forty-yard dash, which I think is a big mistake. But um, but listen, he's he's a good player, um, and he's going to go middle of the first round. But to your point, do you think he would be there for the Eagles? Yes, I think he would be. Not at the top of your list. No, I really like Dean. I I, I really like Nakobe Dean. To me, um, there's a lot when you watch a guy play, especially at the linebacker position. Linebacker is is such is, is such an a, a position of instinctive ability is recognition, knowing where the ball's going, and being there before the blockers can cut you off. It's it really is an instinct and anticipation position, um, and I put a lot of stock in that. And when I watch the two players play, um, to me, Dean, although he's smaller, is a far more instinctive, quick reacting to the ball kind of player, and I think he would be a really, really good fit in this defense. I think it'd be a really good fit in any defense, honestly. 215-592-9494. Best caller of the day wins a uh, $50 gift card to shibesports.com. And, Ray, I believe at this moment that field's wide open. Would appear to be. Okay. Uh, Coming up, I want to talk just a little bit about some of the NFL moves this week. The whole Deshaun Watson thing we got to get into, maybe we'll do that tomorrow because that was disgusting Mm -hmm. what took place in Cleveland. But one of your favorite players, guy that you scouted when he was a high schooler, got moved this week. Yeah, I know. Uh, get your take on that. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. Don't forget, Brandon Graham coming up at noon for Tell Us Your Story. Uh, I'll get back to the phones in a second, but Ray, mm-hmm. um, a lot going on. Man, so much going on in the NFL. It, uh, Eagles aside, it's been a fascinating offseason around the league. 
quarterback roulette, of course, being the main story. We'll talk about the Deshaun Watson travesty of a sham of a mockery of a fraud of two shams at some point, mm-hmm. if not today, tomorrow. Because I want to I want to really have time to let that unfold. But a guy I know you always liked, because you scouted him when he was a 15-year-old. <laughs> I think he was 15, as a matter of fact. The greatest player in Atlanta Falcons history, I would argue, probably, right? Maybe Dion, But, I mean, this guy was a 14 years there. Yep. Uh, Matt Ryan is going to fill Carson Wentz's tiny little shoes in Indianapolis. Got traded for a third-round pick. Right. What do you think? Um... I think he's going to do well. Uh, I really do. Now, you said 14 years in Atlanta. He'll be he'll be 37 when the season starts. Um, but the Colts are a good team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a good offensive line. They got Jonathan Taylor, who's a terrific young running back from South Jersey. Um, they have a very good defense. They just need capable quarterback play, you know. And at, and at this point in his career, Matt Ryan can certainly provide that. So. You know, there's, there's, you know, they've gone through a different quarterback every year now for five years. I, know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It, it all starts with Andrew Luck retiring right. at the age 29, which nobody really expected, but that happens. Then the next year it's Jacoby Brissett. Then the next year it's Philip Rivers. Then the next year it's Carson Wentz. And now it's Matt Ryan. I mean, every single year for five years, they've started the year with a new quarterback. I got news. He's not a long term solution. He may be good for them this year, but. They might want to think about the next guy at the same time. Well, I think that's probably true. Even though, you know, in this era, in this era of football, thirty-seven isn't old for a quarterback. You know, if you get in the right situation where you don't have to throw it fifty times a game, mm-hmm. you can play a little while. Mm-hmm. And you know, Matt always takes good care of himself. And uh, I think this, you know, I, I know it probably there was some there was probably some anguish there that leaving Atlanta after having been truly the face of the franchise for a decade and a half to pack up and go somewhere else at the age of 37 is probably not a pleasant situation. But if you just look at the reality of it, the team that he's leaving, the franchise that he's leaving, to the one he's going to, he's going to a much better situation. Oh, Atlanta may be the worst team in the league coming At- up. Atlanta is, Atlanta is really stripping it down. And they're not a very well-managed organization. They're kind of floundering around right now. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota will be their quarterback this year. Uh, reunited with Arthur Smith, the coach that he had in Tennessee, you know maybe that'll help a little bit. But you look at the personnel on that team; it's just not that good, you know. And that's right now. If you're talking about, you know, who are the worst three or four teams in football right now? I would say Atlanta's probably one of them. I don't think to to kind of wrap this up that there's ever been an off season, certainly that I can remember, where this many starting quarterbacks swap franchises. It's like you took all their names, wrote them on paper, threw them up in the air, and saw where they landed. I know. I mean, it's. Uh, I'll, I'll just rattle through them real quickly. I I can't remember a year like this. Matt Ryan goes to Indianapolis. Marcus Mariota goes to Atlanta. Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland. Russell Wilson goes to Denver. Um, you got Carson Wentz goes to Washington. Mitchell Trubisky goes to Pittsburgh. Uh, Tom Brady unretires. Uh, you got Teddy Bridgewater goes to Miami. Case Keenum goes to Buffalo. Jacoby Brissett goes to Cleveland. Tyrod Taylor goes to the Giants. I mean, that's a lot of quarterback. That's a movement. lot, and a lot of those guys are starters. It's a yep. big deal. It'll be it'll be fun to watch. Jerry in Roxborough is with us. Hey, Jerry. Hey, good afternoon. Well, it's still morning. Still is. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna, even though I'm a Penn grad, I'm going to vote for Villanova because I think of myself as a uh, a Philly guy. Also, Villanova grads make excellent employees. <laughs> <laughs> you get that shot there, right? I did. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I wish them nothing but luck. It's remarkable a school that size has uh, done so well. It, it really is remarkable that a school that size is able to do that well, and it's Jay Wright. It really is Jay Wright. Jay, Jay, we underrate Jay Wright, um, and part of it is because at this station we don't talk about college basketball hardly at all, really, until March. But Jay Wright, year in and year out, has that school among the top ones in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a good guy to boot. He seems to be a very nice man. I've never met him, but he conducts himself very well. Yes, he does. As far as the Eagles go, there are so many adjectives to describe their offseason acquisition. Lackluster, mediocre, Mm -hmm. unimpressed, nonplussed. They just, uh, I don't see anything really there. Kind of like, yeah, I'll sign this guy, maybe that guy, but nothing really that shakes you. I think that you were adjectivally spot on there, Jerry. Oh, thank you so much. I, I I enjoy that compliment from two people who are very erudite and well read. All right, thank be, you. Be well, thank you. Yeah, I think that's. I think Jerry speaks for a lot of fans. I think the it's kind of been a meh off season. Although I, um, the Riddick signing was a good signing. I mean, I I haven't heard sure. anybody. I haven't heard anybody say that was a bad signing. No, that's great. that's a good signing. It's a nice start. And I think Pascal's going to be a better player than people think. He's not an exciting player, but I I think in this offense as a slot receiver, I think he's going to be a good player. Part of it is there were so many top-flight wide receivers sure. who moved around. Now, listen, they got way too much money, right? I, I mean, you know, what 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 Adams got, what Tyreek Hill got. The, the, Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk, four years, 72, I believe. Right. It's insane. But that doesn't mean it's any less disappointing to not have one of those guys on your team. Right. I mean, if the Eagles got Tyreek Hill, again, he, we, they traded too much and he got too much money. But if they get Tyreek Hill, it's a whole different story here. Yeah. So, there you go. 215-592-9494. Coming up next, 30 years ago this week, I think it's uh, today's Saturday. I think it's Tuesday, but I'm not sure. Bear with me. Within a day or two. Okay. One of the most exciting events ever in Philadelphia sports not involving a Philadelphia team, took place. Oh, okay. We'll come back. We'll talk about that. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. We'll get to the phones in a moment. But, Ray, this is when we do this weekend's Philadelphia sports history, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shibesports.com. Best caller of the day gets a $50 gift card to Shive Sports. Ray... What's today's date? Today's March 26th. Mm-hmm. All right. So, fast forward two days, March 28th, 30 years ago. Spectrum. Still going. Mm-hmm. Big event. 21 seconds. NCAA tournament. Excuse me. 21 seconds left. Duke, Kentucky. Duke trails. What's the score? By one. 103. Wait, I can't read my own writing here. 103, 102, and then this. Going to let that cheer go for a moment. <laughs> and, Ray, I'm sure you remember the visuals, right? Right. Um, not Grant Hill. Who was the other kid, Hill? Walking around with his hand, like crying with joy. Grant Hill makes the inbounds pass. No, he makes the inbounds pass, but there was another kid named Hill who the camera caught afterward just like crying with joy as they won. I forget his teammate, um, as Leitner. And here, this was the part that was always the most impressive. 
2.1 seconds left. Now, the clock doesn't start until you catch the ball. Right. So throwing the ball three-quarters of the way down the court, clock's not running. But when Leitner catches the ball, instead of just turning and shooting, he turns, he dribbles, he sets himself, and he shoots. He was not afraid of the clock. He knew what 2.1 seconds meant and got it off. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just his, his poise was the most impressive part of that whole thing. Yeah, um, and probably the greatest lapse on it was the Kentucky coach, Rick Pitino, who doesn't defend the inbounds pass. I know. <laughs> he doesn't defend I, the I, inbounds pass. He doesn't I, have anybody on Grand Hill. He gives yeah. Grand Hill a complete free look down the court. I don't get that. I, you, you, to this you can't day, go I can't, with the mush rush there, right? To, this, gotta, I, to this day, I can't understand. got to pressure the quarterback. Yeah, I, I can't understand how you don't defend the inbounds pass, but he didn't, and Grant Chucks it into Leitner. Leitner turns. You're right. Sets himself. Launches the shot. And bingo. Um, it's <laughs> it was pretty memorable. And if you recall, it came up in one of our Telusher stories. Vaisikahema was in town that weekend to sign his contract to play for the Eagles. And the Eagles said, "Well, you're in town for a couple days. Here, here's a ticket to a basketball game uh, over at the Spectrum." And Vice said he went. Didn't even know who was playing. And he goes and he walks in. He walks in, and lo and behold, it's Duke, Kentucky, one of the great games of all time. One of the great memorable games of all time happened here, and I will tell you now that I turned down tickets for that game. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I had a date. I had a thing. I had I, I, what I think it was dinner with friends or something like that, and it's like ah, I didn't want to disappoint my wife, cancel on the thing, and like I didn't know it was going to be a great game. I mean, I do Kentucky. Obviously, I should have paid more attention to it. Right. But it's like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I think I'm going to pass. And I'll. <laughs> I remember being at the restaurant, and there was the 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 dining room was adjacent to a bar. There's a bar area kind of adjacent to it, and they had the game on in the bar area. And we're sitting there eating dinner, and every once in a while, I'd look over at the game. We're like, oh man, that looks like a good game. I passed up. Like, oh, look at that score. Oh, they're in overtime. Holy cow! And I look over there, and and people are running around like crazy. And I realize, like, oh, I might have missed something good. <laughs> <laughs> well, our our mutual friend Dick Weiss, who worked at the Philadelphia Daily News with me, and then went to the New York Daily News, um, had made an agreement that season that he was going to do a uh, a season with Rick Pitino and the Kentucky Wildcats uh, because. Dick just had a feeling that that Kentucky team had a chance to go all the way. Oh, and so, that and was so, going to be the basis of the book. And so he was oh. doing a diary of a season with the Wildcats, and uh, the dream died, ironically enough, right here in Philadelphia. Too bad. Back yeah. on the wrong horse. But and, but one of the one of the all-time, all-time great games. And it happened here, absolutely. Um, and just to reiterate, Ray, today, what time does this game start tonight? 8.59 p.m. It's, the tip-offs are so interesting to me. Not 8.58. Uh, no. Not 9. Not 9. 8.59 p.m. tonight, number two seed Duke against number four seed Arkansas. Jim Nansen. Oh, they got Grant Hill on the call. Okay. You think this will come up once or twice? Maybe. A film uh, clip or two? Yeah. Okay. And, Ray, as, as that column I read said, we're all rooting for Coach K now. <laughs> <laughs> I think not. No, not you? No, You're you right. like you like the cat. You like Villanova tonight, huh? You know they're a one and a half point underdog. I know, which is interesting because they're the higher seed. Well, do you know Houston? I mean, obviously, they're two point underdog. Excuse me. Yeah, Houston looks really good. 
Houston's very good. I, I think Houston was probably underrated at five. Yeah. Um, oh, it's in San Antonio. That doesn't help. Which it's basically a home game for Houston. Yeah, I just um, saw that. Jay Wright made mention of that yesterday. Um, in NCAA basketball history, uh, I read this this morning. I wasn't aware of it. Um, five has played two, um, like five times. Mm-hmm. Five has won every one. That doesn't mean anything to me. I don't. I don't see like. So why would that mean anything tonight? That's know. one of those trends that when people are looking for trends, I got a trend. To me, that's like, well, yeah, I don't know. Probably the last time it happened, the people that were number two said the same thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I guess. Uh, here's, the th- here's the thing. I think that Houston, Houston is a really good rebounding team. They get, And I wonder if. I think that they're going to be tough off the glass. I nah. think they're going to get a lot of second chance. And here's the here's the other thing. They don't have a large one anyway. Uh, well, here, but here's the other thing: is they really, if you watch them, they really play great perimeter defense. They mm. really play mm. the three point shooters, which is Villanova's Villanova. game. Yeah. The one the one great advantage Villanova has, if it's a close game, and it probably will be a close game, that Villanova is a much better foul shooting team. Yeah. So if it comes down to that in the last couple minutes, and these games often do. Then the advantage goes to the Cats. I will tell you this. I imagine the network is rooting for Villanova because I imagine the network is rooting for a final. Four. If you're – who's got it this year? Is it – who's got it? Is it TNT? Who's got it? I don't know who's got the final four. Um, Nova versus Kansas, Duke versus UNC. Yeah. Right? That's a, That's for the network. That's the dream. That would yeah, that would be exactly if they could if they could program this one, that would be it. Yeah. Oh, ES, ESPN's got the final four. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, TV ratings this year. I don't. I read an article this week. TV ratings for the NCAA tournament this year are way up. I think they're, they're up like good games. They're up like sixteen percent, and both men's and women's uh, shown a significant rise this year. So there's a lot of people watching. Good. Uh, let's go to Larry in Ridley Park. Wants to talk about the Eagles draft. Hello, Larry. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? All right, sir. Good. Listen, Ray, I'm having nightmares. Help me out <laughs> uh-huh. to cure my nightmares. I have this nightmare every night that Howie's going to botch this draft. Mm-hmm. Can you help me out with that? Can you tell me that it's not going to happen, that you cannot mess up this draft? <laughs> Why would I tell you that? <laughs> any anybody, anybody can mess up any draft. It doesn't matter. I mean, a couple – yeah, I, here's here's – I have the same discussion. Larry, if it makes you feel any better, I have the same discussion myself uh, I mean, inter- I, I, internally. I this, it's, it's awful. It's gut-wrenching. Well, I mean, you know, it's, there's two ways of looking at this. One, one way of looking at it, if you want to be a glass-half-full kind of guy, it is that we all agree the Eagles need to improve their defense. And this draft has a lot of really outstanding defensive players at every position. Linemen, yeah, linebackers, DBs. How we know that? Well, they're there. They're there. Now that's that. That's I'm giving you the glass half full side. You want to prove your defense? You got three first round picks, and there are a lot of really good defensive players in almost every area that you can draw upon. However, the other side of it, the glass half empty side of it, is a couple of years ago we knew the Eagles needed a wide receiver, and we said, "Hey, listen, this is like the best wide receiver class that we've seen in decades." Uh, and it proved to be, but the Eagles used their first pick on Jalen Rager. So just because the players are there doesn't mean that your team's going to pick the right ones. You just have yeah, to hope yeah. that uh, you just have to hope that they do. Now, both of you know I'm partial to Florida State, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Jermaine Johnson, Ray, he's there at 15 or 16 or 19. Do you take him? Uh, I probably would. I probably would. But here's, here's the problem. I don't know that he will be. Um, he, uh, he was so good. He was so good at, uh, at the Senior Bowl. And, in fact, he didn't even stay for the game. He just practiced. But, Thanks, he, was, but he was so good uh, that, you know, two months ago, I would have told you that Jermaine Johnson is certainly going to be there in the teens. After, after his performance down in Mobile, now most people that I've talked to and most of the mock drafts I've seen have him going in the top ten. Could he possibly be there? Maybe. And if he, if he was there, yeah, I would be very interested. I think he's, he's the kind of pass rusher that, that, uh, that the Eagles could really use. Good, good player. I'm fine with that. You started at Georgia and then transferred to Florida State. Yeah, hey, I want guys from Georgia. Ray, that kid last weekend. Jordan Davis. Oh, my goodness. He's not going to be there at 15. Will he be if, – if, if he's there at 10, 11, right? Could be there at that point. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Trade up? I would really think about it. I was talking to somebody this week um, about Jordan Davis, actually. And I said, you know, I was kind of hoping that he might slip through to 15, 16 that the Eagles have a shot at him. I said, but after, after the combine, after he runs the 4-8, there's no way. And this guy said to me, no, I think he will be. I think he will be because people are going to go for edge rushers first. They're going to go for cornerbacks first. And there's going to be a couple quarterbacks that are going to go earlier than you think. And people tend to devalue the interior of the defensive line. Mm-hmm. People tend to just say, I, I, I want the guys on the edge. I want the guys that give me the pass rush. Mm-hmm. Well, Jordan Davis will give you pass rush from the inside. But he said that he thinks that, and he's kind of right about this if you look back on it, that defensive tackles get pushed down further in the draft than they probably should. Great. And he thinks that even a prospect as good as Jordan Davis will wind up falling right around where the Eagles are picking. Hey, you know, the, la- the last, if I am correct... The last defensive tackle they took in the first round, who they just brought back and they really need to replace. Is Fletcher. Who was a great first round pick. Yes, he was. And my recollection, he was somewhere in like 11, 12 area. Uh, that's about right. Yeah. That's hey, about. if Jordan Davis gives you the career of Fletcher Cox, I'd be happy with that. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. As a prospect coming out of college, and Fletcher came out of Mississippi State, um, they're very comparable. And I would actually tell you I think that Jordan Davis is a little bit better. Than Fletcher was coming out of college. I'd be delighted with that. Yeah, I think he's going to be a big-time player in the NFL. God, he looks so good at that dinner. Yeah, I know. It's really funny. When you I saw... see these guys up close, particularly when you see them not around other players, right? When you right. see the Eagles offensive line standing together, they're all huge, but they're kind of all the same huge, right? Um, you know the guy was different? Remember King Dunlap? Yes. God, oh, he he was, was like 6 feet 10. Yeah, he was like huge among all of them. Couldn't right. play, but Jesus, he was huge. But when I see Jordan Davis at this thing, and listen, there are a lot of football players there. Oh, yeah. But there are also a lot of, like, regular people. And a lot of the football players were quarterbacks, running backs, so on. Right. My God, Ray, he was a wall. There's, there's a picture. Someone sent me a picture uh, from the dinner um, of Jordan Davis standing next to Brian Westbrook. Oh, that'd be great. And it is hilarious. Be great. It is hilarious. And Brian Westbrook wrote on it, entered onto it, I'm glad I retired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if, if somebody Jordan could Davis to, could catch him, he'd squash him like a bug. Somebody could point to that picture and say, 
These two guys could not have played the same sport. Yeah. Not possible. Which is one of the things I love about football, by the way. Yeah. Is you have people of all different sizes and skill sets. It's, yeah. You know, when we do the What I Love About Football show. That's one of them. It's one of them, is that you can have a five foot, how tall was Westbrook? Five eight? B was probably five eight and a half. Okay. And Darren Sproles is even smaller. Right. A guy like with Darren Sproles is body type and skill set. And he can play the same sport as a guy like Jordan Davis and both excel. It's it's one of the fun things about football. It really is. I agree. Let's talk to Andy. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Andy. Hey, guys. As always, a pleasure. Good Thanks, talking sir. to you guys. Thank you. Hey, listen, um, I'll be very quick because I know you guys have probably got a break coming up, but um, I'm going to mention two names to you guys, and I need your opinion on it. Um, Thibodeau and Hutchinson, we know are not going to be there. Right. The guy kind of stole my thunder about Jermaine Johnson. I love that kid. I think he could be there. I would grab him as the edge rusher, and we definitely don't think Jordan Davis is going to be there. Um, we could trade up, like you said, but could we save that and give this kid from you kind of look, uh, Ray? Uh, uh, Travis, Travis Jones? Jones? Uh, three-year starter, um, six five three four. Oh, I know. I, 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 I know him. Uh, I know him. Um, I'm not – He's a big guy, um, but he's not. He's not. Um, he doesn't have the the takeoff. He doesn't have the explosion of okay. Davis. He's uh, right. to, to me. He looks like a big guy who moves like a big guy. You know, uh, like I don't. I don't guy. see him. Exactly. As, yeah, I mean, he's six five. He's three fifty, but he kind of moves like yeah. that. I mean, if he comes to the NFL, could he be like a big time run stopper? Maybe, but I don't think he's a guy that's ever right. going to give you pass rush. And I think the Eagles need somebody who can give him pass rush on the inside. Yes. Jordan Davis has better tools, unquestionably. He's a, and we definitely agree on Dean. I think Dean is going to be there also somewhere in the mix because of his size. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Yep. You know, 220, 225. I would grab that kid in a heartbeat. But I would like to see Jermaine Johnson on that defensive end. I'll tell you right now, I'd like to see him get on our defensive end, be that edge rusher we need. But, um, yeah, I just needed your opinion on Travis Jones. I thought he was a good ball player, but he, he's, he plays like a big man, and he does not have the tools of Jordan Davis at 6'6", 350. No, but, uh, no, no. Yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up with me, buddy. Yeah, nobody, I, nobody I was going to give him a chance. How about lower in the draft? Would you try it, like maybe third or fourth round? If I didn't, if I, if I hadn't drafted, if I hadn't addressed the tackle position before, I would think about it. Um, I actually think that, I actually think Long is probably going to be third round pick maybe even a fourth he's just he's just not quick enough to you know he was fine at UConn but in the NFL I mean he's going to use his size and his girth to be a run stuffer I mean and he can probably do that well enough but if you're the Eagles you're looking for guys on the defensive line that can get get pass rush they can get pressure and there aren't that many guys that can get that from the defensive tackle position you know that's why you know that's that's why I I like the Georgia kid I think he's I think Davis has the size to stop the run. He's going to command the double team, but he's so quick off the ball, he's going to be able to get your pass rush besides. He's just a very rare player. So we're going to be continuing the Ray Didinger College Draft preview pretty much every show between now and the draft, right? And tomorrow, what are you going to do tomorrow? Uh, since you did quarterbacks today, let's do wide receivers tomorrow. Oh, I like that. I would be, I, you know, I'm kind of with you in the, I'd be happy if they drafted three defensive players in the first round. 
But if there are certain wide receivers that if they fall to me, I still think this team's got a big shortage at wide receiver. And it wouldn't, you know, you got to get the right one, but it certainly wouldn't bother me if they went that direction. And they're there too. Ray, before we are done with this series leading right up to the draft, you will be covering the guy who I absolutely emphatically want the Eagles to take with their final pick of the draft. My sleepers. Well, my sleeper is San Diego State punter Matt Ariaza. <laughs> the record-setting, world-changing, greatest punter in the history of college football, future join Ray Guy in the Hall of Fame punter. Mm-hmm. Last round, not rushing. That's who I got my eyes on, Ray. He's not going to make it to the last round. Fifth round. That's probably about where he'll go. I'm in. Okay. Let's be honest. Punter last year. Major disappointment. Well, it cost you dinner. Yeah, that's this Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) This Wednesday. So our stupid football bet was on the punter, how many he would drop inside the 20. (sighs) Started out well. I was was ahead for a while in terms of the trend. What was it, 20 in the 20, right? It was 20 in the 20. Yeah, 20 for 20 was the bet. And he was ahead of the pace for a while. And then, boy, he he lost his toe. Well, you, you know, it looks to me like he can't kick in the cold. Yes. When the weather got cold, he oh. became less effective. Well, you know, small hands, quarterback can't do it. Small feet. Uh, could be. I don't know. I made that up. I mean, it, lo- it looked like at the end of the season, when the weather got cold, it looked like he was kicking a brick. Yes, I, I thoroughly agree. Anyway, what that means is this Wednesday night, I will be taking out you, mm-hmm. uh, producer Dave Breitmeyer, producer Dan Wilson, producer Moshe Kravitz. Holy cow. Producer ja- uh, Jack Fritz. That's right. Oh man, I gotta get to the bank. Gonna have a <laughs> gonna have a big table at Ralph's. We are going to Ralph's Italian restaurant, the oldest Italian restaurant in America, and one of my favorites, man. It's just every time I'm there, it's just like pile up that red sauce for me. I am ready. So I you know. I bet those boys can eat too. Oh, those guys. Here's the thing when we take our producers out, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, our producer today, Dahir, is it's like he's new to us, so Sorry, you're out of the bet to here. Maybe next year. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting here talking about dinner with producers and the poor guy's schlepping back there. Um, what we've learned when we take our producers out to dinner, and I'm fine with this. Listen, they're young. They're hungry. Yes. They're, you know, they don't make a ton of money yet. Right. And so when they get this opportunity, they're, oh, they're like, you know who they're like? They're like the grandson in Caddyshack. I'll have one of these. Give me one of those. I'll take that. Oh, no. Actually, that was Ronnie Dangerfield. I was thinking about the kid. I'll have a hot dog. I'll have this. I'll right, have that. Yeah. I'll have that. I'll Spalding. Have right. You'll have nothing. <laughs> I'll have a cheeseburger. I'll have a hamburger. I'll have a hot dog. I'll have right. right. I'll get nothing and like it. That's our producers. Do you want a salad? Yes. Do you want an appetizer? Sure. You can have dessert? Two. One to take home. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the good news is I'm done paying off my kids' colleges. So, uh, I'll, You're I'll okay. Deal with it. You're fine. I, I'm fine now. Ask me after Wednesday night at Ralph's. <laughs> anyway, looking forward to it. Coming up, Ray and I, and Tahir, by the way, all saw the same movie. Really? We're going to find out who liked King Richard and who didn't. Okay. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn on 94WIP. Well, that is Will Smith, of course. You recognize the voice in the movie King Richard, in which he plays the father of Serena and Vanessa Williams. 
Uh, it is one of the movies nominated for the Oscar tomorrow. By the way, what we're watching is sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Buy any window or door and get the second one at 50% off, plus interest refinancing for up to 18 months. Call Guy to Door and Window today. 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A. Ray, the Oscars are tomorrow night. We'll talk about that tomorrow. You and I kind of both agree it's not been a great era for movies. Uh, but this is one that, although it kind of bombed at the box office. It did. Um, well, you know what? I want to let you go first. What did you think? Uh, I liked it very much. I liked it very much. Um I thought that it was, and I didn't cover tennis. I never covered the, the Williams sisters. I was never around Richard Williams, so I can't say how authentic it was or how true it was. Um, my good friend, our good friend, Michael Barkan, who has covered a lot of tennis for USA Network over the years, uh, went to see it and said that it was very accurate in the way it portrayed Richard Williams and very accurate in the way it portrayed his two daughters. Uh, and he thought it was, as sports movies go, very factual. Uh, so he liked it, for, the, and I'll take his word for it because he's certainly closer to tennis than I am. I just thought that the, um, the, character, the, the character played as played by Will Smith is um, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating because for one minute you like him and admire him, and five minutes later, he's under your skin and you can't stand him. Uh, and Will Smith walks that line throughout this movie, I think, really beautifully. And it, more than, and you know, and more than one of the things about Will Smith, and I like him as an actor. Uh, this is going to be his third Academy Award nomination. He was nominated for Ali, when I actually thought he was pretty good as Muhammad Ali. He was, uh, and he also was nominated for a film called Pursuit of Happiness. This is his third nomination, and he's going to win. I'm pretty sure he's going to oh, win. He's going to win because he's won everything up till now. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and he's the movie. Yeah, uh, and the, the the thing about this particular portrayal of by Smith is, whenever I've watched Will Smith in other movies, be it Men in Black, be it Independence Day, I mean all of them, I feel like I'm watching Will Smith. You know, mm -hmm. this was the first time I kind of felt that he sort of dissolved into the character, mm -hmm. and I felt like I was watching. Richard Williams, mm -hmm. and not watching Will Smith, which tells me he's taken acting to another whole level. Um, I just thought he was brilliant. Um, I do think he's going to win the Oscar, and I think he should. Um, also, his, the, the two young girls who played his daughters were great. They were really good. Uh, and I thought that the woman who played his wife... I thought she was a hidden gem in that movie. She was great. Well, she's been nominated for Best Supporting yeah, Actress. Yeah, and if she... Yeah, if she I don't know who else is up and so on, but she would be a worthy winner. Just let me give people a little background. So the story, as as we've said, is about Vanessa and Serena Williams and their father, Richard Williams, who decided before they were conceived that they were going to be tennis champions. Right. Wrote up a was a 73-page guide to how it was going to happen and basically, to be uh, candid, bred them to be champions, uh, which clearly they became. I mean, Serena Williams is maybe the the greatest athlete in anything in the last 50 years. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much doubt um, about that. So our producer to here went and saw it also. I'd be curious, to what's your feedback on this? So I absolutely loved the movie. Um, Ray, you talked about how you could, at one point in time, you liked how you know Rich's fathering style was, then the next five minutes you couldn't stand him. If I could make a comparison, it's almost like that a LeVar Ball effect, where say what you want about him, you can't say anything about him being a bad father. Having two out of three players in the NBA, I think that's awesome. But back to the movie, look, 
Yep. That's a good comparison, by the way. I thought the movie was absolutely phenomenal. What he did for his daughters, if it, if it is accurate, what he did for his daughters, I completely commend it, and I I truly loved it. It's a very inspirational movie. Well, they were the daughters, the Sabrina, the Williams sisters, excuse me, were were listed among executive producers yes. of the film. So I'm sure it's certainly accurate from their perspective. Yes, right. I mean, they had uh, some artistic control over it. I think I liked it, maybe not quite as much as the two of you. Um, I. It was maybe it's because I know this story, and you know it's 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 not it's not breaking new ground on a story, so I found it in certain ways predictable. Um, but I liked it. You and I wrote a movie, a, a movie. You and I wrote a book twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, the ultimate book of sports movies. And at one time, we had talked about like you know, should we do a sequel? Should we put in new movies? What should we do? And we decided not to because the number of movies that we would have a- added in the last twelve years was minimal. I think we thought Creed was one of the best. The yes. Fighter, yes, were probably the two best, right? And we would have put those probably somewhere in the low teens to mid twenties. Uh- yeah, I Creed higher than the Fighter, but but in that in that range, yes. Where do you put this one? If we're uh, writing that book all over again, the hundred greatest sports movies of all time, where would you put this? Uh, it would be the best movie since we did the book. I would put it ahead of Creed, and I like Creed a lot. Would you really? Yeah, okay, I, I would. I would not. Okay, um, I I like Creed a lot. I like Creed two less. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, but um, I like Creed a lot. But I like this better. Uh, my only my only uh, problem with it, and they're fairly minor pro- problems. I thought it was too long. Yeah, uh, two hours twenty minutes. They could have they could have lost twenty. Two hours and twenty six minutes is a long yeah. movie. Yeah, they could have lost. Uh, I thought that the I thought that the tennis action was really well shot. I mean, it was really really well shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing, and this Those, maybe this is just by the me. way, I I didn't read up on the actresses who played the tennis because. They could clearly play. Yes. You know, you and I, one of the things we talk about with sports movies is, is the action realistic? Is the person who's running with the ball, hitting the ball, boxing, you know, can they pull it off? The two young women playing tennis certainly looked like they could play tennis. Yeah, they looked. I don't, I don't know their background. They were more convincing as tennis players than Kirsten Dunst was yes. in Wimbledon, for example. Yes, yes. Uh, so, but I thought the movie, it was a little long. It felt a little long. Uh, and the other thing, and maybe it's just me, every time I saw John Barenthal, who plays the coach, yeah, with, with the that hair. awful wig yeah, yeah. sitting on his head, I mean, yeah. it looked like a bird's nest. Yeah, it was I mean, a little, every a t- I mean, nobody really knows. It's a real coach, but nobody knows what the guy they looks like. They show him at the end. Yeah, just let John Barenthal be John Barenthal, okay? All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the greatest movie you ever saw, 1 being a bomb, what do you give it? Um... Eight and a half. Wow. To hear, what do you give it? I'll give it a good, solid seven and a half. I, I, I'll go with seven and a half. Okay. I'm with you on that. By the way, I started watching um, this thing on Apple TV Plus um, called, with Samuel L. Jackson called The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray mm-hmm. that I think I'm going to try to review next week that I invite people to watch, which is about he plays a guy like 90 years old who's really addled with dementia who gets the opportunity, I want to don't give it too much away, to be in this medical testing program in which it will completely restore his memory of anything he's ever known, 
but only work for a short period of time. Kind of like um, Flowers for Algernon. Yeah, or which they made into a movie called if, Charlie. Charlie, which Cliff Robertson won the Academy yes, Award for. Yes, or also the one with um, De Niro and Robin Williams. Thank you. Uh, uh, Awakenings. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that you can answer. Uh, you can finish my sentences, but yes, <laughs> it's got that kind of thing going with it, and it's okay. it's very good. I also started watching a sitcom, which I'm going to review one of these weeks, called Abbott Elementary, set in a Philadelphia elementary school. Oh, okay. Which I'm not big on sitcoms, but it's pretty good. Good, pretty good. But we'll talk about those down the road. Okay. Right. And I have, to, I have to do one quick shout out. Uh, last night I went to the Our Lady of Peace Parish Children's Drama Group. Uh-huh. My old grammar school. I hadn't wow. been, I hadn't been in it in more than fifty years. Right? The building. So I went back. They were kind enough. One of the mothers was kind enough to. She's friends of Joe DeCamera. and so she got me. She sent me tickets to the, last night's performance. Awesome. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. What did you see? Uh, I saw that the, the kids did a production of Beauty and the Beast, which was, <laughs> it was absolutely terrific. I really, uh, I really, you. really loved That's it. Nice. I'm sitting in the gym with all the parents yeah. and all the brothers and the sisters, and it was a delightful evening. So for the, you were probably, to the, go ahead, to the Our Lady of Peace Parish Children's Drama Group, I want to tip my hat and say, job well done. That was a thoroughly charming evening, and good luck. They're going to be playing it. The rest of this weekend, it's really a lot of fun. You were probably the only one not shooting it on a cell phone. Uh, I'm the only one that didn't have flowers to give the cast oh, at the oh, end, I'll right. tell you that much. Okay. Art in Carney's, Art Carney is with us. Uh, no, Art in Carney's Point. Hey, Art. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. Look, what's going under the radar here is offensive linemen. I was just curious, Ray, first of all, do you think the, the Eagles need to beef up maybe the interior line? And if so, who are you looking at? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's, to me, that's probably not a first or second round consideration. Um, I might think about it in round three, round four there. Uh, I think right now you've got your basics covered. Um, I mean, right now you'd be drafting for depth. You wouldn't be drafting for immediate need. Uh, Even though you lost Brandon Brooks, uh, I have, I mean, I'm just guessing, but I would assume that they're going to bring Ike Sayamalu back and they're going to probably plug him in there. Um, so the the one offensive lineman and Glenn and I talked about this that really intrigues me, uh, is Daniel Falele, um, the, the offensive tackle from Minnesota, um, who is, uh, tell me if this sounds familiar. He's six feet eight. He's 380 pounds. He's a rugby player from Australia oh, <laughs> who, came, who came over here uh, and learned how to play football in the States. Uh, and he is now um, an all-Big Ten player uh, at the University of Minnesota, and he's coming out in this draft. And his hero and his idol is Jordan Maialata. Well, who's isn't? <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, I, now I think that he's probably – he's a lot like Maialata in the sense that he's a very, very raw prospect. But if you draft, if you draft him now – uh, and you just give him to Jeff Stoutland and let him develop over the next couple of years, the way they did with Mylotta, uh, at the point where Lane Johnson's about ready to get in the pickup truck and drive home to Oklahoma, you might have your right tackle. And you have decided in your mind, and I think they have as well, that the Landon Dickerson's future is at guard. He is not Jason Kelsey's replacement. Yeah, I, that's kind of the way I feel about it. To me, he, he really took to the guard position. 
And I, I, I really like that left side. I really like that he and Mylotta playing side-by-side guard tackle over there, those two big guys. I mean, you saw the way they ran the ball behind them, and they're both young guys that are only going to get better. Yeah, to me, Dickerson's found a home at guard. So they, at some point they need to find a the center of the future on the roster. Is Brent Toth, right? He's the backup center. Uh, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, you got to find a center? Yeah, well, Herbig would probably be your backup center, I guess. Although, say uh, – I still think it's going to wind up being Sayamalu. I mean, he was a he, yeah, he, he was, was he was okay. a center in college. All right, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Don't forget, coming up at noon, tell us your story with Brandon Graham. You do want to listen to that, Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow on ninety four WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow, ninety four WIP. It is eleven forty five on a Saturday, which is when we check in with our doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Doctor David Gelt is with us today. How you doing, Doc? Pretty good, guys. How you doing? We're all right. Uh, we're better than Odubel Herrera, uh, who, by the way, just for the record, neither Ray nor I were, were particularly happy that the Phillies brought back, but secondary. Nor was I. Nor, nor was the doctor. Ray, it's unanimous vote. Okay. <laughs> to hear you with us? Yes, he is. All right. Okay, that yeah. makes it four The people four. have spoken. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it is compounded by the fact that he is now dealing with a, quote, mild oblique strain that will sideline him for four to six weeks. Um, I am doc. It's it's hard for me to see mild strain and up to six weeks in the same sentence. Explain it to us. Yeah, so we talked about before with oblique strains or any soft tissue issue. It's a, it's a delicate issue where sometimes you're doing well and you try to push along and then you sort of get a setback. So they try to go a little slower, just because every time they rotate, especially throwing or batting, you can just irritate it and then you're. Uh, sort of one step forward, two steps back. So I think they put it in as a four- to six-week course and see how they do, but hopefully, uh, you know, for his sake, uh, it'll come out a little earlier, so we'll see how he does. Or hopefully they find somebody else to play center field, my own yeah. editorial position there. <laughs> <laughs> what is the um, – um, at four to six, does that seem conservative to you or does that seem, like, reasonable? Because when it struck me, I, I thought that seems odd. It seems like an odd projection for what Girardi was dismissing as mild. Yeah, I mean, it's usually average. They, Like I said, they, they give a, a range, and they see how you're doing, and if they come back a little earlier, then they look they look really good. Um, but I think it's just something they really want to take day by day, make sure that they're moving along, and then they just keep pushing them and they keep advancing them. If he keeps doing well, then they keep moving the next step. And like I said, hopefully he'll uh, come back for them. All right, Dr. Gelt, now I, I've been around a while, and I've followed sports injuries most of my professional career. And maybe it's just me. 20 years ago, I never heard about oblique strains. It's one of those things like Liz Frank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's certain things that, like, it's, it can't be that people didn't used to pull their oblique muscles. Is it that the, the language has changed or science has improved or what's up with that? Are you, are you saying people are soft now? I, I'm asking you. <laughs> Did we used to call some? Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong to yeah. think that 25 years ago we just didn't hear about oblique strains? Yeah, I think, I'm, I mean, some of it is medical terminology. We know things now more than we do. You know, there's, you know, the sports hernias and other, right. uh, with, with images we now can see what we're dealing with and other things we used to be just, oh, you have a little strain, you know, rub some dirt on it and keep playing and uh, they, you know, try to push through it. But now we, with, with rehab and, and med- medical advancements, we can try to treat it so they can try to last longer and their careers can stay and can keep going. So I think it's a combination of things. Um, but they're also trying to handheld them a little bit just so they don't want to make sure that they lose their career just because there's so much money involved now too, I think. 
Dr. Gelt, did you watch any movies this year? Uh, I did some. Um, you got a favorite movie like of the year? Been, of the year? Yeah. Um, uh, not, I mean, there... See right. That tells year, you it's, it's really been a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot, a lot more shows I'm watching than movies nowadays because uh, I don't go to movie theaters anymore. So uh, it's hey, to... I'm in the same boat, buddy. I'm with you, yeah. Doctor. I would uh, Glenn and I would both recommend King Richard if you get an opportunity to see it. It's on HBO. Heard, it's, it's on my it's on my list. Yeah. I definitely want to see that. I've heard it's really good. It's um, very good. Yeah, it really is. You can get it on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be great. All right, Doc. Always and, a pleasure. Uh, and then uh, go Carolina. That's all I have to say. Ah, oh, that's right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I went to the went to the game last night. It was it was, it was really a lot of fun. It was I'm sure. With St. Peter's, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, doctor, you're rooting against Cinderella. Well, he's got uh, a he's got a he's got a degree on his wall. I understand. Yeah, up to up to that point, yeah. If it was some anybody else, I'd, I'd keep rooting for you. I understand. Okay. All right. I understand. All right. I'm glad you got that in, Doc. Be well. <laughs> All right. All right. Take you. care, doctor. He's a good guy. He's a very good guy. That's right. I forgot he had gone there. Uh, let's uh, get Rick and Easton up here. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Rick. Good stuff, guys. Before I get to my uh, St. Peter's and Villanova, that's a great movie title, by the way, for uh, Cinderella 2022, St. Peter's and Villanova. There's an idea for a book, too. Uh, or you made a comment earlier, and you're an expert on contracts, Glenn, but Ray made a comment earlier, the world is changing, is so spot on. If you look at the transfer portals and mm-hmm. the ages of these kids on these rosters for basketball, Glenn, you know I watch the wrestling very closely. The average successful collegiate athlete now, especially in football, I mean, I mean wrestling and in basketball, is 23, 24 yeah. years old. Yeah. And this Deshaun Watson contract situation that's going to put the NFL in a very interesting situation, where are these colleges coming up with this money for these COVID extensions and these medical red shirts and these Olympic red shirts who have to have 12 credits of class? Who's funding the millions and millions of dollars at the Division I level? Well, taxpayers uh, at, at the state schools. You know. well, but how about the D1 schools that are not state schools? I mean, that's a topic for maybe a different day, but yeah. it's just incredible if you think about it. So real quick, the Purdue coach, Matt Painter, mm-hmm. totally got out coached, I thought, by Holloway. When you saw that they were struggling, St. Peter's, with Edie and Trevor Williams, why not just put both of those players in the game at the same time? to try to do something to battle the heart that these kids from St. Peter's have. It's incredible watching this. Yeah. Uh, he did. And Hol- where Holloway, and, and Rick, I got to run. Holloway is going to where next year? He's committed somewhere else, right? To go he, somewhere else? St. Peter's coach? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I th- am I wrong? I thought he did. I thought I had heard that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't want to. Well, I'm sure he's. I'm, I don't want to end on an incorrect. I'm sure there are so people knocking sure. on his door. Uh, I'm sure there are. All right. We got to take a break. Uh, coming up. Brandon Graham, tell us your story. It's a good one. You're going to want to listen to it. Glenn Mack now, Ray Dinger on 94 WIP. Shy Vintage Sports welcomes college basketball to town and invites everyone to see a unique piece of Philadelphia sports history at their shop in Center City. In addition to the best throwback apparel in town, which you know they have, Scheib is the home to the legendary Spectrum Backboard, used in the 1992 regional final that we just talked about. So come and experience the significant part of what many consider the greatest shot in college basketball history. 
Stop by 13th and Walnut before you head to your next game or any time that you're in town. Shive Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Boy, if the Eagles can come up with their one turnover of the game right here, that would be ceiling. It is second down and two. Brady with White to his right. Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He fumbled and he fumbles the football, and the Eagles have it. It is recovered by... Yeah, it is unrecovered by Barnett. 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 Brady fumbles, and Barnett has the ball. They finally hit Tom Brady. They finally hit Tom Brady, and Barnett comes up with the football. Oh, there is that turnover we prayed for. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. It is Saturday at noon. Time for Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, you just heard one of the great plays in our city sports history, and the man who executed it, Brandon Graham, came to the Eagles as a first-round pick out of University of Michigan in 2010, through four head coaches and five defensive coordinators. He has been a solid foundation on defense. He is now the longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia, and he joins us. Brandon, thanks so much for being our guest. Oh, man, I appreciate y'all having me on. So you were, uh, we always like to start at the beginning. You were born in Detroit, um, great city. Um, What was your first football experience? What do you remember about a kid kind of turning on to football? When I first started uh, football, um, you know, everything was good until we put the pads on. <laughs> Once we put the pads on, um, it was I was a big for my age, so I went against a bigger guy that was more experienced, and he ran me over, and I caught a stinger in my shoulder. I remember standing over with my dad and telling him, you know, I, I, I don't want to play no more. Uh, I didn't practice the rest of the day. And I, I told him, actually, that I didn't want to play no more. I want to quit. And so uh, we was talking in the car. I remember him just saying, like, just finish out the year since you started it, because once you start something, he he wanted me to finish it. So I did it for him that year, but I really didn't play as much. Um, it was more learning that year. And then the following year, I did it again just for him because I knew he was kind of sad that I didn't play uh, or didn't want to play, but I did it for him again. And by the time my third year, once I got a little more experience, that's when things started to con- really click. And, man, um, that's when uh, things started to take off for the good. Uh, in how, my how old? How old were you at the at the beginning of the story? I was seven. 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 Okay. <laughs> yes, and then uh, by the time I got to ten, uh, that was I had one MVP of the team that year. Uh, my last year on the C team, it was like seven to ten, and then you go eleven, twelve for the B team, then thirteen, fourteen, and sometimes it's fifteen. If you have a late birthday, like uh, November, December, well, before the first game, you have to be 15 after the first four, I mean, after the first game of the season. Uh, so a lot of guys either go to go to high school and play ninth grade, or, or some people play for their seven year. And we used to get seven year trophies uh, if you if you stayed that long. So, <laughs> well, once yeah, it was cool. yeah, but once you got you know, once you got the hang of it, and once you got into it, you got real good real fast. And uh, by the time you get to high school. Uh, Crockett High School, which for folks who don't know Detroit, that's a Votech school. Uh, you go there, and um, you're kind of Mister Everything there. You're playing offensive line, you're playing linebacker, you're doing the punting, you're doing the place kicking. Um, 
And I remember talking to you when we did the thing together a couple weeks ago at the at the Pyramid Club. You were talking about uh, you know the things that you were up against at, at Crockett because it wasn't the richest school and it didn't have all the great facilities and the locker room was pretty primitive. Uh, and you said that there were no lights on the field. So in the wintertime, late in the season, when you guys would practice would run late and it was starting to get dark, uh, the parents would pull up in their cars and turn their headlights on to light the field so that you could finish practice. Yeah, and we used to, so, I mean, you know, and, and you know the sky is still pretty dark, especially if you don't have overhead lights. And so uh, sometimes when we throw the ball too high up, you know, you, the receivers wouldn't catch it because they couldn't see it. <laughs> so, you know, it's like if you're not, if you didn't keep it low enough uh, for the lights to hit it, uh, most of the time we just out there, you know, pretty much it was just for the experience of just saying that we did it uh, at night with, with, with lights like this. It's just for the story. Uh, but I think that, uh, yeah, well, we had to use the middle school uh, for our for our weight room, and then um, we used somebody else's field. But our school was on there. It was just a trailer, but uh, it was more the little league that played on the field that we played on. And they called it the Dust Bowl because it, it had, like, the grass was not growing as good on there, and it looked like it's almost sand, but it was mud. Uh, but, it's uh, yeah, it was, it was what we had, man, and, it got me to where I needed to where I needed to go. So mm-hmm. you know, we made sure we took care of it. You mentioned your father earlier. Um, tell us about your family growing up. Um, what your parents did, siblings. Give us a little background there. So, uh, growing up, I lived uh, with my mom. Uh, it was me, my mom, my sister, and my dad. He was in my life, but uh, you know, we didn't live we didn't live together. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, my dad was uh, he's a truck driver. Uh, he drives semis, and my mom, she used to work at Chrysler. Um, but now um, that I'm here where, I'm at, where I am, uh, she doesn't work there anymore. So, uh, But, yeah, growing up, we pretty much uh, was able – I was able to do a lot as a kid. I still talk about it to this day. It's like my mom kind of said, if you get good grades, then you can do whatever you want. You know, as long as the grades is good, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have a problem with a lot of stuff. So, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm thankful – uh, that, you know, I didn't get into too much trouble. But, man, I, I show, gr- grew up, you know, really experiencing a lot because I was the oldest of my sisters. So I got three sisters, but I um, but I got two on my dad, one on my, my mom, and me and my mom and my sister, we all lived together. So I had to uh, help my, my little sister, and I had to be the role model. And, you know, not having no brothers, football was pretty much what, what helped me uh, navigating the coaches uh, my dad, of course, um, you know, this helped me with my decision making because, uh, man, it was tough, you know, coming up in Michigan, in Detroit, you know, at that. And so uh, making the right choices sometimes was was, was kind of hard because of some of the temptations that was around. Yep. Yeah, well, you were – but you were uh, you were really a good high school player. I mean, you were the best player in the state. You were Parade Magazine All-American, which is a big deal. Uh, you were Mr. Football in the state of Michigan in your senior year. So everybody knew who you were, uh, and I suspect that the recruiters had no trouble finding you. Um, your decision, what was the recruiting process like, and did you, was it one of those things that you just kind of were a Detroit kid and you always wanted to play at Michigan? Is that why you went there, or did, did Lloyd Carr offer you something else that the other coaches did not? No, so every, um, every year, I mean, my, me and my dad, we would, I mean, he would cut my hair on Saturdays and we watch a Michigan game. Um, the Michigan game, and just and then we would watch the Lions, and I was a big Lions fan too, because uh, you know we always wanted 
we always wanted them to win. And watching Barry Sanders during them times, just like, man, if we just get him some help, uh, <laughs> you know, I just. <laughs> I got were, bad news. That That's still going on out there. I know. I know it is. It always. <laughs> it's a tough it team to root for. Thing. Oh, it was tough. And it seemed like the same things happened. The games that we supposed to win, we end up losing in the end. And so it's just like, um, yeah, it was always heartbreakers. But I grew up, uh, you know, Michigan because my dad was, he still is, big Michigan fan, followed the team, and most of my family uh, was Michigan. So when Michigan came knocking at the door uh, after my junior season, going into my senior year, uh, they was the first people I committed to. And then after that, so many people started coming. Uh, once once Michigan offered uh, me a scholarship, and Penn State was one that was on me to the end, trying to get me to flip, uh, because they used to talk about um, you know the guys that's there and linebacker you and oh, all yeah. that stuff, and so yeah, so it was it was it was tough, but I knew I always wanted to go to Michigan. So it says at least in something I read that you showed up as a freshman six uh, two two hundred and ninety five pounds, which is a whole lot bigger than you are even now um, mm-hmm. is that right were you uh, and and were you going to play linebacker d n I know that that's been something that's been going on your whole career but what was what was the plan when you showed up so i was i came out of line well I came out of my senior season in linebacker, but then I played in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. And so in Michigan, you can't play – you can't go out of state to play in any all-star games or you'll be suspended from spring spring sports. And mm-hmm. so I end up going anyway because I just was like, man, a lot of guys don't go because they're scared of that. But I'm just like, man, you, you, you don't get this opportunity all the time. And um, I want to play in it. And so I end up going. So I got suspended from spring sports where I couldn't play. I couldn't run track. I couldn't do a lot of stuff. So I kind of just relaxed and chilled and didn't do – just immature at the time, didn't know that I just was looking for a break because uh, of how much I worked all the time. And mm-hmm. so I didn't know – I didn't know better. My coach kept telling me to work out, man, make sure you're working out, make sure you're doing this, staying ready. And I didn't listen. I was senioritis, enjoying my senior year, ended up getting big, went from 240 – to 295 in like four months five months and just eating eating late partying just man i mean acting like i ain't going to michigan jeez well hey listen were (laughs) you still were you still working the grill at mcdonald's is that what was doing this to you that was doing it too that was that was it too and so that's what uh, (laughs) so that's what got me uh you know once i came back up there to school and they seen how big i got Coach Carr looked at everybody. I remember it was like jokes going around, uh, just people just, you know, kind of laughing. And they said, oh, that's your linebacker? Well, he going, they moved me to D-line room real quick. So I ended up going in there. And, you know, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I had, like, guys like Lamar Woodley, uh, who else, Tim Jamison, um, uh, Rondell Biggs. I had a lot of older guys in my room that really helped me um, for that sit- for that year uh, coming in because – you know, I, I didn't. I had it all wrong on what I thought I was gonna do, and you know, them guys kind of, you know, brought me back to reality and, and just showed me how to work. And once Lamar Woodley was one of the guys that took me under his wing when I got up there, and you know, would invite me to his house and we do some stuff, and you know, we had conversations, and he was like, "Man, don't blow this opportunity." Uh, cause you got a hell of an opportunity ahead of you and, you know, stuff like that. So, 
I, I credit him uh, too, especially during the time where I had to kind of make up for what I what I lost because man, I came in a linebacker, but now I had to learn how to play D line. So <laughs> that was man, that was it was crazy. My focus was different. Now I had to go get quarterbacks other than trying to intercept the quarterback. Well, it turned out to be not that tough a transition because once you went to the defensive line, you played, you did play really good. I mean, I remember one of the sophomore, junior year. I remember you had a huge game against Notre Dame. You had like three and a half or four sacks oh, yeah. against them, and yeah. you know that that one kind of put you on the map. And then you know you're you were the team MVP uh, your last two years there. Uh, you're the team captain, uh, and then in the senior year, you're an All American, and you're having you're just having a great career. And I remember you telling me one time um, how it was it, it was sort of a twofold maturity for you because it was maturing as a player, but it was also maturing as a man and learning what it means to be a leader when you become a team captain. And I remember you told me that your your high school coach uh, had an expression which I th- I had never heard before, but I thought was great. He said, "Leadership is demonstrated; it's not announced." In other words, it's something you have to live every day. Uh, and mm-hmm. obviously, you sort of took that to heart by the time you got to Michigan, and you really grew into it. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just know that I like to talk anyway when I'm playing, but I got to be about it. I got to make sure I'm putting that work in uh, and showing people um, what it is I'm saying I'm doing too because that's really what it is. I don't want to even ha- – I want you to see exactly – I don't even have to say anything. I just you, you just watch me. Watch me work and know that it means something to me and I hope it means something to you because I got to trust you just as much as you trust me as your leader. So, yeah, I, I always try to, even this year even this year coming up, I'm like, man, this could be potentially my last year, but I'm going to make sure I, I, I give it everything I got for the boys, you know, as far as, you know, being the leader uh, of, of doing and, and just being there for teammates and during different times, you know, that, I, that comes up in our, in our lives. Brandon Graham is our guest on Tell Us Your Story today. Um, so um, you go through Michigan, uh, MVP of the team twice, big game at the Senior Bowl in 2010, and then comes the 2010 draft. Um, what did you expect going in? You know, kind of what teams had talked to you? Were the Eagles on the radar? Play it out kind of leading up to draft day. So I was working out up in Ann Arbor. I uh, had just got my agent. Um, and, you know, he was telling me, man, you know, some people saying late first round, second round. Um, and, you know, I was just, I just remember being excited during that time because I was just like, man, at least I'm getting drafted. I'm happy wherever I get drafted. I can't wait uh, because I feel like it don't matter where I go. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to show them why they picked me. And so that's where, that's what I was kind of banking on so I was just working out I go to the uh I got invited to the combine I played in the senior bowl I got MVP of the senior bowl um in January that was mm-hmm. the first thing I did then I end up going to um the Indianapolis ran my 40 ran my second 40 blew my hamstring so I was done for the day mm-hmm. uh but my pro day that's when everything took off for me I felt because um, you know, me hurting my hamstring, it was just like a, a, a mild strain, but um, I didn't get to do no, I do no workouts or running tests like everybody else. So I ended up having to wait till my pro day. It was like three weeks later and I killed the pro day um, draft come up. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to go. I know that the cameras was with me that day, but I know that just because the camera's with you that day don't mean you're going to get picked that day sometimes. And so that's why I didn't want to go to New York because I got invited down there. 
Uh, but I just didn't want the embarrassment if I didn't go because I know my, my agent had was just being real with me and telling me you could be potentially second round, um, you know, first, second round, but you, you've made yourself uh, some money at the senior bowl. But, you know, I just, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you first or second. And so the Eagles traded up. I remember, I, I remember the Miami saying that they was going to get me. They wanted to get me. And I spent a lot of time with them too. Uh, Miami uh, before, before uh draft. And so, I was like, man, at 10, I was like, oh, man, Miami, they going to get me, they going to get me. And once I didn't hear nothing and then I seen the pick, I was just like, oh. like So it was a lot of stress during them times because you really felt you knew, okay, in the beginning, you knew who was going. And Dominican Sue, you got Sam Bradford and Dominican Sue, then you had, uh, uh, I forgot who went three. Uh, but I know that it was, you know, guys that solidified, oh, Gerald McCoy, uh, guys that solidified their spots already. And so I was thinking – Man, if I go fifteen to twenty, that's that's nice, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I just remember saying that, and then boy, the Eagles traded up, and my phone was blowing up. Oh man, and it was uh, Howie first, and then uh-huh. Coach Reed, and they said we're gonna take you with this pick next, and all this, and man, I just was, it was, yeah, I was excited, so so excited. Well, just there was a lot of smiling. You. Well, as you know, there. Uh, well, as you certainly found out, there was a lot of chatter in Philadelphia about it because when the Eagles, the Eagles actually had, as you said, they had to trade up to get that spot, and then there's all kinds of talk. Okay, who are they trading up for? Uh, and there was a, a lot of discussion about Earl Thomas, who was a really good player out of Texas, and the Eagles were looking mm-hmm. for a safety, somebody to take over for Brian Dawkins. So that kind of made sense. Um, and then you were selected, and then began the whole discussion, well, should they have taken Earl Thomas, or should they have taken Jason Pierre-Paul, or the other guys that were there? So, I mean, when you arrived for town, were you aware that there was all of this kind of feeling among the fans that, you know, okay, we got this guy, but we're not sure he's the right guy? Nope, I didn't. I didn't know none of that until I got hurt, and then that's when everything started popping out. Man, we should have took Earl Thomas. We should have took Pierre Paul. We had this guy, and we got this bus, Brandon Graham. And I mean, I used to not like it here, boy, at all, because the fans was just giving it to me. And I remember going back with the fan, back and forth with the fans, and just you know, they're just letting them. Letting them get me out of being who I am uh, because I was uh, insecure about where I was in my career because I ended up getting hurt my first year. And then both of the boys got all pros. I think they got uh, Pro Bowls them years. Uh, but I know Jason Pierre-Paul won the Super Bowl the second year yeah. in the league. And then you get Earl Thomas to be, just be the dog that you just knew that could have been with the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? So it was yep. like, man, I had to live through that. I was – you know, stressing during them times, but I, I credit uh, just, you know, being able to lean on Trent Cole and, and, uh, and, and you know, uh, Jason Peters because then with the guys who helped me and just told me, like, man, make sure that you just come to practice every day. It's going to change for you. Just believe it. Just It's going to change. And they used to tell me that all the time. And, man, when when that Super Bowl stuff came and I made that play, it was just like, wow. Like, I remember just – where I was and didn't want to be here at this time and wanted to sign the one-year deal with the Giants, but I ended up going with, with the Eagles because I was just like, you know what? My wife wife was just telling me not to make an emotional decision. Let's, let's go with the security of the team, and you already know the Eagles, so you might as well uh, just go ahead and do it. And it paid off with that Super Bowl because, man, I'm telling you, um, 
I, I was really hurting during them times, but I, I'm glad I didn't make that decision, especially when Chip came, because when Chip came, uh, that was I was in a bad spot during them times. <laughs> yeah, well, not not alone. Mm-hmm. And and what um, what you're referring to is 2015 when you were free agent and and uh, came close to signing with the Giants. Let me ask one question, then we'll go to a break and then uh, go through get to that Super Bowl. Uh, one of the challenges you had er, through the well through most of your career is that the team kept changing coaches and defensive coordinators. I mentioned at the start you played for four coaches here. Uh, if I have the order right, it went from Sean McDermott to Juan Castillo to Todd Bowles to Billy Davis, then to Jim Schwartz. Uh, so you're now in your sixth, I guess, defensive coordinator. And your position kept moving back and forth. You were, you know, a hand on the ground guy, and then you're standing up. And and what kind of challenge did that place on you? Uh, so at the time that I went from uh, putting my hand in the dirt, I was two eighty five. And then when you play outside linebacker, you have to be a little more light on your feet. So they expect you to be around. Well, I know Chip did around two sixty five, two seventy. And so that was one of the things that probably rubbed him the wrong way in the beginning uh, when I when I had to make that transition uh, to lose the weight. I was still I still was kind of in as a DN. I still I came in two eighty five, and he you know wanted me at two seventy two sixty five two seventy, and uh, I know that was that that just gave him a bad taste about me. And, like I say, I I don't think I was gonna be here um, if a certain guy didn't get hurt, Travis Long, during the year. That um, that um, you know, uh, the first year I I was here because Travis Long get hurt, and that's I know that's the guy that he wanted. I, they end up having to keep me, and I end up playing really good that year. Uh, once I once I really got it, but yeah, man, just having all them different um, coordinators, you have to adjust. It's football at the end of the day, but it's like you got to you have to have really good coaches too to help you with your everyday of you know your individual drills or what you running the the habits that you creating of you know good habits or bad habits like with with coaches sometimes you can create bad habits um doing certain stuff that really don't don't help you in your movement on how on where you need to be sometimes and and sometimes that kind of goes unnoticed uh but now I understand all that little stuff matters, what you do every day or how you lift and how you train it and how you uh, eating and doing all the little stuff. Um, man, during them times I had to change habits that I was, that I had formed for so long, uh, especially with myself. And yeah, I had to, I had to do, do it every year. It seemed like, cause I had so many coordinators. Yep. Well, it has worked out, as we said. You are now the longest-tenured athlete in this city with uh, Claude Giroux getting traded. Let's take a quick break here. Come back. Ray, how about we go through the greatest year? Sure thing. Uh, Brandon Graham is our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com. It is Brandon Graham with Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. John's in trouble. Ball's knocked out by Graham. And recovered by Philadelphia. Is that going to win the ball game? Graham knocked it out. Vinny Curry recovered it. And that defensive front steps up and makes a play. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now Saturday on 94 WIP. It is Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. We are delighted to have Brandon Graham as our guest today. Ray? 
Yeah, Brandon Gramadink, everybody. Talk about a guy who needs no introduction. This is him. But just to give you an idea of some of the numbers here, 12 seasons, uh, has played 161 games for the Philadelphia Eagles, which if you're keeping score, that's the most games played by any defensive lineman in this franchise's history. Uh, 59 sacks, ranks fourth in the team's history behind only Reggie White, uh, Clyde Simmons, and Trent Cole. Uh, has had a has had a great career, uh, and Brandon, as, as as you were talking about him, and right before the break, we were talking about all the different all the different coordinators and all the different coaches and all the changes that you had been through over the course of twelve seasons. But one of the things that um, it just seems to me probably must have helped you in your development was the caliber of guys you were going against every day in practice. And when you're talking about the practice every day, I mean, you're going up against Jason Peters, you know, and all through training camp and all through practice, you're going up against Peters, or if you flip to the other side, it's Lane Johnson, who are two two of the best, well, Jason Peters in that time was, was the best offensive, not just the best tackle, but probably the best offensive lineman in all of football. And you're working against him every day. Um, and I'm sure that's one of the things that probably helped make you as good a player as you were even better, because Jason Peters never gave you a day off. Oh, yeah, and, you know, I started learning some of his tricks because, you know, what he would do sometimes, he would say, hey, man, don't don't go so hard, um, you know, on this play, man, I'm hurting right here, and then he'd try to tee off on you. <laughs> so I learned that early as a rookie because he got me one time, and I kind of came off like not messing, like not even messing around, but just didn't want to mess him up, and, boy, he was trying to make his work easy that day, and then after that, I didn't uh I didn't take it easy no more. And that really did help me it sharpened I mean, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so me and Lane now, uh, we always battling. We the first ones to go in uh one on ones, uh when it's that time. And man, I I really do credit, you know, being able to go against cal- high caliber guys like that. Uh I think uh who was that? Winston Justice was here. We used to go we used to go at it when uh when I first was here and that was good battles especially with me learning and we used to talk a lot on what he used to see from me and uh you know what 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 uh what should I expect from the linemen in the league and you know, I had a lot of guys that was willing to give me information uh when I first got here so I, I credit all them guys like Trent Cole was a big one because you know him and JP used to have battles all the time that's what made me really see what it took every day to you know, get the results because, as you know, Trent Cole used to man, he used to be out there <laughs> terrorizing. <laughs> you know, I I, I loved um, I loved this move, and he only had one, and he was really good at it. And he just anything else uh, that came was just a counter move off whatever position he was in. He got out of and got to the quarterback. So uh, I, I had some good guys to look look up to and uh, go against every day too. So we talked about uh, you, you got uh, drafted here when Andy was the coach and then the chip era, uh, not as fond, and then Doug Peterson comes in. Um, and in the first year, the team gets better. It's okay. And then the second year, it becomes magical. And one of the things that I'm always curious about is at what point during the Super Bowl season did you and your teammates realize this could be something special? I think it was the Rams, the week of the Rams. Uh, when we all had to stay down there, uh, we was down there um, for a week. I was just like, man, this is crazy. We go to, we just lost to Seattle. Uh, I, you know what? It was Seattle. It was Seattle. I remember saying, like, boy, this is a big test for us. If we if we beat Seattle, we talking. Because I haven't beat Seattle since I got in the league. 
I mean, never, never beat Seattle uh, since I since I've been here. And you know, I was like, man, we beat Seattle, man. We talking, and so uh, we go out there. They place. Uh, I end up having what two? I think I had one and a half, one and a half sacks that game. And you know, um, it was it was a it was a good it was a good game until it wasn't, and mm-hmm. we we end up losing. And I was like, man, you know what? I think we. We, we all right. You know, I just know that it was just one of them games that we just that we just had. You know, I just remember saying that. And uh, the week of when we met Kobe, I was like, man, when Kobe came in and the speeches oh, was yeah. hitting the way, the way the speeches was, it just made me feel like, man, we got a shot because we really do got a good team. And I started seeing like, damn, we got LeGarrette Blunt who just won a championship we got Chris Long, who just won the championship. We already got Malcolm, who won one. All these different guys. I remember saying, like, man, we really got some stuff going because uh, Marigos, uh, Chris Marigos came in. Man, yeah. he, his speeches used to be on fire. And I just, I just started feeling that momentum, especially after Kobe talked to us, uh, meeting him. And I was like, man, we really got a shot, and we and our record was I forgot at that time. I think we only lost two at that time. And right, man. We yeah, we. I really did feel like um, we 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 was gonna win the Super Bowl. I felt like at that point, I was like, man, we really do got a shot to win this thing because of how we was just going through people. When we scored fifty on the Broncos, that's when I was like, yeah, yeah we we doing something. The feeling you're. Um you're 100% right, Brandon. I mean, you, I think everybody that was around the team kind of felt it. I mean, you guys felt it the most because you were living it, but everybody around it, you could just kind of feel there was something really special going on. And, you know, the West Coast trip was a, was a big one. You're right. The Kobe speech really fired everybody up, and then you go out and you play a good Rams team and you win. And But in the same game, you lose Carson Wentz, who's having the greatest season of his career and at that point was the MVP. And it just seems like at that point this season that everything was going right all of a sudden, here here you lose your quarterback right at that moment. What was it that allowed the team to pull together? Because everybody, I mean, Doug Peterson kind of said he said, "Listen, we're just going to rally behind Nick Foles and we're going to keep playing good football." But how did that? How did that? How did that take over the team? I mean, how did the guys man to man feel like? Okay, now we we're in this position. We got a chance, but now we got to do it with our backup quarterback. Well, Malcolm Jenkins stepped in at that time uh, when it happened because when we was in there celebrating because we just had Clint's, Clint's star division, we got the hats and stuff out. And um, next thing you know, uh, Malcolm come in and he was just saying like, we know one of our brothers went down, but we got another brother that's going to take us to the promised land. And that, that boy, we uh, it's Nick Foles and we going to have to rally behind him. And, you know, it don't matter. He was like, you know, for us as a defense, y'all boys get us Three points on the board. Ain't nobody scoring on us. Like you know, it's just like that. That's that's how we got to step it up. And you know, uh, if the offense score score fourteen points or whatever, you know, what I'm saying we gonna make sure we keep uh, keep the score down uh, because of the defense we gonna be playing. And you know, he just stepped up in that moment and just made everybody believe that the main goal is still the main goal, and that's the Super Bowl. And man, everybody just kind of went back to partying after that. But I felt like that was a moment where he had everybody attention, especially knowing we just figuring out that he tore his ACL because we didn't know what happened. We knew that he went in and nobody was saying nothing yet, and then we we got the news, and then Malcolm brought us up, and then Doug said what he said after that, 
and I don't think it, nobody flinched uh, after that. It's around that time. And by the way, after that Rams game, you guys beat the Giants, you beat the Raiders. Uh, week 16, nobody played uh, against the Cowboys. But you went in with the best record in the conference and still an underdog on all those playoff games. And that's kind of around the time that the whole underdog thing started with the dog masks and so on. How did how did that begin and how did that kind of infuse the team? So us being the underdog, uh, the the one, you know, losing at our own home, you know, the first game against the Falcons, uh, it was kind of a slap in the face. And I think uh, Lane and uh, Chris Long and them came out with the dog mask of the underdog, and we just went with it, you know, because I remember people being mad saying, dang, we're not even favored in our own home. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we got the record and all this little stuff. And that just we just took offense to it. And I remember them boys. I mean, Lane and all them didn't say what they was going to bring them dog masks out. But uh, when they brought them out, that's when the underdog stuff really took off. And, man, it's, I just felt like that was our team. A lot of guys that that was unwanted and that was, uh, that was hungry for something uh, end up, you know, uh, coming here. And we, we, was, we just took on that role of the underdogs. And, man, it fit well for the team that we had. And uh, I think it was just genius by Chris Long and uh, – in in uh, lane, <laughs> we're just coming with the dog mask. It and certainly and united the fans as well with the team. Yeah, it was it was a perfect it was a perfect fit. It was the perfect it was the perfect gesture and the perfect identity at the perfect time. And you know the 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 playoff run, you guys have home field and you guys had been really good at the link all year. I don't know if you realize, even realize this, Brandon. Do you realize that your defense didn't give up a single rushing touchdown at the link that entire season? Ooh, I didn't even know. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> your your defense did not give up a single rushing touchdown at the link the whole regular season or the postseason, which is pretty amazing. I don't know if that's ever been done before, but you guys did it, Ooh. and you fought yeah, your way. You fought your way. You fought your way through a really tough game against Atlanta, uh, a game in which I, I don't think you ever came off the field. I think you played every snap, uh, and then the yeah, next we, and then the next week mm-hmm. you play. The next week you play Minnesota, who's a really good team. Uh, again, they're the favorites. Uh, and one of the key plays of this whole championship run comes in that game when you're down 7 nothing, and Patrick Robinson intercepts that pass, takes it back for a pick six, and totally flips the game around. And from that point on, you own the Vikings. But that, that you know, when you talk about the key plays of that season, you know, Patrick's play there is really one of the key plays of the season. Yes, it was, because, man, they scored so fast. At first. I remember saying, man, that was five plays. Man, they scored quick. That tight end, uh, Randolph. Man, he, he straight up Rudolph. I remember Najee Good came to the sideline like, that's my bad. That's my bad, y'all, because uh, uh, cause that was his man. And we was like, we got you, man. And, and then we went three and out. And then, bam, they got back on the field. We were like, oh, man. And we know how they defense was. And people was talking like how good they defense is. And all they need to do is manage the game. Uh, they defense going to take over. I remember saying, uh, them saying that. And – when Patrick made that play, you right. It was just like, man, we just took off after that. And that boy Nick flows, you know, throwing dimes and flea flickers and we just oh man, it was they pulled out all the stops because it was it was just that close to get to the Super Bowl and, and coach just didn't hold back. So every player dreams of getting to the Super Bowl. Every player dreams of winning the Super Bowl, but before we have you winning it, let's talk about what it felt like when you beat the Vikings and you're going to go to the Super Bowl to Minneapolis, 
Um, what was it like those couple of weeks? Were you were you nervous? Were you confident? Were what was it like? Man, it was, leading up to the uh, getting there. I mean, you know, it was. I was so nervous, you know, uh, because it's just like, man, like, boy, we about to, we about to play Brady now. We about to play uh, the guy that 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 I done seen win last year against the Falcons, and the way he did. And it's like, man, we got them the first one. And I remember my daddy saying, um, man, hey, boy, y'all beat them. Y'all talking. Y'all, y'all, y'all for real then, cause, cause you know it's hard to beat Brady, and I, I kind of looked at him like, man, man, we got a shot for real. Like Brady, Brady can be beat, and I remember saying that to him. I was like, you know what? Can't nobody take this one away if we do beat Brady, and can't say that. Oh man, you won against these guys; they wasn't as good. It's like, nah, you going against the main one, Brady, and you gonna have to earn it. And I just remember us just saying that, and um, Jim Schwartz, I think did, I know did a great job uh, leading up and keeping us at ease because, you know, him being with Billitech and uh, with us having two weeks on him, we worked on a lot of stuff that we we didn't do well with during the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the first player of of the game, we ran that screen so many times in practice uh, because he knew that. He was gonna hit us in areas that we didn't like. They let, like they were, ran a couple of traps. We let them hit us on a couple of traps in the game. Uh, but I know that was one that we practiced a lot, and they actually did it. And they did the screen, the um, fake receivers where it was like fake one way, and then hurry up and throw it back to the the receiver on the backside. And everybody like we we didn't do good on that play all year. And the first play, Malcolm Jenkins, bam, TFL. It's like. Man, it's like we just was so prepared for that game. Even though they had 500-something, I just felt like we we was in position most of the time, but they players made plays. And um, I think that, uh, you know, just us hanging in there and, and obviously Nick Foles playing the game that he had because, man, he don't score points. We're not going to win that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember so, one of the things that you said during the week in one of your interviews was, was so – you were so right when you said it, was you said, listen, the key on our de- on defense this week is we got to keep coming. we just got to keep coming. Because you know how good mm-hmm. Brady is, and you know how hard, how hard they're going to make it to, for you guys to get to him. And, of course, he threw the mm-hmm. ball 49 times. You hadn't touched him all day. But you said, I don't know, it was Wednesday or Thursday in one of your interviews, the key that and the coaches are telling us, and we know it, we just got to keep coming. We got to keep coming. Yeah. We got to keep coming. Not get discouraged. And when you look back at the play that you made, I mean, that, that, that play that you made there that kind of saves the game really is just a keep coming play. I mean, you just fight your way through the blocks until you finally got there and knocked the ball away from him. Yep, because it was that one time where he didn't get rid of the ball as fast as he normally w- was getting rid of the ball, and bam, there you go. Like, you know, and that's the that's the play to help you win it right there. You know, and that was just like, wow. I just couldn't believe it when I actually – when I got past uh, Shaq Mason, it was – I could just see myself zeroing in on him, and then I seen the ball, and I just kind of closed my eyes and – put my hand in the area of the ball and I was like wow I couldn't believe he was still there when uh when I got there <laughs> <laughs> do, do you say do you still have do you still have it on your cell phone oh yeah I still watch it man I, uh, I'm gonna go watch it after after talking about it with y'all I'm gonna watch it again <laughs> all right so let's get to the next step which is the, the parade 
um, which I think for so many people in this town, uh, and and how many were there, Ray? Million and a half, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah they, they, they said they said a mil- they said a million and a half, and I think they were a million short. They were, had, yeah, they were okay. over two million. Uh, for so yeah. many of us, we'll, we'll remember that day as much as the Super Bowl. What t- take us through your day on the parade? So we get there uh, to the link. Uh, we we all waiting uh, to get get on the buses and stuff. So we just kind of have breakfast. They got food and stuff for, for everybody, and everybody just kind of mingling and talking about the game. And can't believe we about to have a parade. Seeing all the people. You know, just outside, that's outside across at the Phillies Stadium. Like, it's just like a tunnel of people where they where we can see we about to go out the parking lot uh, and you can just see all these people on Broad Street getting set up. I mean, it was it was so many people. It was, man, it was, it was such a, uh, you know, su- such a great moment because I remember just taking pictures of just all the people that we've seen. And, man, we get on that bus. And and I didn't realize that it was gonna be two hours that we was gonna be it was gonna take to get up to uh to uh to the stairs. But man, people was throwing beers, they was throwing like so much stuff, uh memorabilia for you to sign and then we would throw it back to the crowd. Whoever got it got it. But it was man, it was so much fun, so much yelling. I lost my voice because it was just like, Yeah, yeah, yeah and then you gotta take a break because You've been yelling for almost thirty minutes straight because you ain't even make it. You didn't even make it past what's that broad and um, uh, Oregon right there. Man, oh, that's I'm the beginning. Tired. Yeah, that's the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, woo, man, we still got a long way. And but you know what was so cool when I actually took my little breaks, I started to see people all in windows, like people high up in buildings. Once we got like towards downtown area. You seeing people hanging out the windows and just excited. It was it was such an exciting time. So many smiles, people crying, and just can't believe that we actually having the parade. And man, that was my first ever championship that I ever won. I never even got to the end to even lose it. I never got to a championship game in my in my career. So to actually make it to the Super Bowl and go win it, man, it was everything for me. And to actually make a play against a guy that I grew up watching, uh, man, it was it makes it that much sweeter. And so, man, I'm just – I'm still in awe of everything because it's like, man, it just came and went so fast, and I, I hope to get another taste of it one more time. Yeah, you're not alone there. I think the whole city's with mm-hmm. you. And the, the people here are still um, – there's still a glow in the town and the, and the fan base for, for that whole ride and that whole Super Bowl and the way you won it and the parade was – it really was. Glenn used the term magical, and it really was. But the next biggest thrill, I mean, after that, uh, is the 2020 season when you, after having played as long as you had played and accomplished all you had accomplished, you finally got voted in your first Pro Bowl. And I know that's something you always wanted. Uh, that was sort of that one box you needed to check. Uh, and in 2020, you get it. And I remember when Doug Peterson announced it to the press um, that, that the team had found out. He said that uh, there were actually the coaches in the coaches' room. Actually, guys had tears in their eyes. They were so happy for you that you got that recognition because they knew what it meant to you. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I know that me and Swartz talked about it a little bit too, and uh, and it was just like, man, I just couldn't believe it because he always talked about the respect he had for guys that played ten plus years and man, still be playing at a high level. And um, you know, I st- I felt like uh, Swartz. 
you know, as he continued to keep, I, I mean, I had him for what, five years. It was just like, man, I started to, you know, see a different side to him, you know, cause he used to be a little hardcore, not really hardcore, but just, he was, he just was to himself a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, you knew he was going to ride for you because uh, how much he put in, he always working, but he always say, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to, I'm here to do a job and to make sure y'all get somewhere in y'all career. And so he always say, I don't have no friends. I just, this is my friend. The, the, the football, football is my friend. I want to make sure y'all take it serious. And he used to always be, you know, he had jokes here and there, but most of the time he was, he was straight, you know, straight to the point, serious. And so to see him break down and be, be happy for me like that, man, I was hyped. I was hyped, you know. <laughs> I would imagine. Brandon Graham is our guest, obviously. Uh, Brandon, between 2012 and 2020, nine seasons, you only missed one game. And then last year, week two, uh, torn Achilles uh, ended your season. How tough was it to watch when you were out injured? You know what? It was it was it was tough in the beginning because you knew I knew how I felt going into this season and what I was doing and how everything was coming together and then bam, you get hurt. Man, I was uh, you know I was kind of salty at first because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was like ah because. You know, it's just you have all these goals and you're talking with your teammates and you build these bonds and then now I got to sit on the sideline and, you know, watch everybody. But what what I what I tried to do, well, what I did do, um, I just went against that. I was like, you know what? I said at first, I was like, man, I ain't watching football. I ain't doing this because I just, ah, I'm sick. But then I was like, no, nah, you know what? I'm going to help somebody during this time because before you know it, you'll be back. And you be doing stuff, and it's and it's really how you handle it um, when you go when you when you had to go through something. And so, I tried to like once I changed my mindset about it, um, you know, I started to feel better, and the time started flying, and you know, I was able to be there to help guys and, and tell them what I see because a lot of guys, you know, respect my opinion on watching film and, and 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 seeing where I can help them be better. And you know, I just I just took a joy in that becoming a coach. Uh, for the year mm-hmm. and, and trying to coach the guys up. I had Deuce Staley tell me, man, learn the guy, see the, see the, see the game from a different view. Like really, you know, start, he started giving me little assignments to do and, you know, stuff like that. And it, it really do is going to help me moving forward. Cause I'm like, dang, now I can see the, how, why coaches do what they do being up in the coaches box and hearing them make calls and really asking like, so what made you? Because they like to do this. This coach like to do this. He's very aggressive. He, he like to come here. So we gonna hit him with this. Just why we doing this? And I'm like, oh, okay. Now I understand a little more uh, from you know what the coach is thinking to you know something that can help me in the game. When I see certain formations, this is what comes out of it, and this is why they do this. And I mean, man, it just it just they want you to be able to coach. Uh, why you playing? And so that's what that was my goal this year to try to you know see it from a coach's view, uh, than than the players and see you know exactly how coaches why coaches call why they why they call what they call. So right. yeah, it, was, it was a good year for for that. 
Yeah, but of course, you know, an Achilles tear is not an easy thing to come back from, and you're at 33, it's it's doubly hard. Um, mm-hmm. And I know, um, you know, I, I know was your intention that that isn't how you wanted your career to end. You wanted to you wanted to come back, and you wanted to end on your own terms. So, but the big part is the yep. rehab, and that's what you've been going through. And you know, today before you talked to us, you had another workout. You you went through it again to try and get ready. How are you feeling right now? How's the rehab going, and how optimistic are you about being ready to get going when the new season starts? And you know what? This has been the like it's like what you just said. I thought it was gonna be as hard, but my tissue and everything has been really good. And how uh, how my trainer explained it to me, he said you make rehab look easy. And so that's what he was more excited about. That I really haven't had too many issues, you know. And now I've, I'm in a point now where I'm just doing exactly what I normally would do during the off season because. I'm feeling the same way. I mean, I'm feeling like how Cam Akers felt at six months. Like the six months uh, is next week, and I'm, I already feel like I can do football stuff already, you know, and I'm doing some of that stuff now. Uh, but, you know, just trying to make sure I do everything at, at every checkpoint where it's like, okay, the six-month mark, now we can start ramping it up even more. But how I feel right now, I feel like I could have been did that. But I since I got time, I'm just, you know, enjoying the whole process because I know uh, by June I should be uh, – well, I'm out of rehab after that and I'm just kind of doing everything that I normally would do during the off season, and I'm really just trying to get, get ready for training camp. But I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be excited, man. I'm going to go do everything, you know, I could do for the last year of my deal. And I'm going to just, man, enjoy this whole year. I said I'm not rushing – anything because you know you know how fast time is flying and so i'm gonna try to enjoy every day and put it all that i can into it um you know just because i know the end is near all right so last question then um and we talked earlier about how you know at the beginning of your career you and philadelphia and the fans didn't exactly see it see eye to eye uh, you are now, as we mentioned, the longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia and certainly somebody who, through your play and really through the way you've been uh, conducted yourself in this city for all these years, a favorite. Uh, what does it mean to you to kind of have that title of longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia and to know how the fans, how highly the fans regard you? Well, you know, I, I'm, at, I'm at a point now where I just, I'm I'm so, you know, appreciative and thankful you know, for this moment because I didn't even see this moment coming where, you know, I would be the longest tenor eagle or athlete in this in Philadelphia and then um, you know, on top of that be the you know, played as many games as I played as a defensive player, uh, here in Philly. And man, I'm just I don't take this for granted. I I try to um you know, I want it to be I wanna stay here you know, at least two or three more years to get to 15, and then I'll pass the torch to somebody else after that. <laughs> well, Brandon, listen, we, we thank you. We thank you for your time today. We thank you for all of those years and more to come. Uh, we thank you for the strip sack. That, that, maybe I should put that first. But um, <laughs> thanks for being our guest today on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Brandon, uh, be well, and we can't wait to see you in training camp. No, I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. 
The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.